I don't see anything wrong with recreational video games, and I find that like playing video games or like watching YouTube for a little bit is a good way to recharge the old batteries. And I think more people should take um, take that into account. If I'm preaching anything, I guess this episode is self-care and like taking care of yourself and listening to your body and not not thinking that the grind mentality is going to be the end all be all because if you're burnt out, you're, you'll be burnt out and there's no point anyway. Hello and welcome to the Merit Makers Podcast. My name is Chris Skamra. I'll be your host. Today in studio with us, we have Cameron Hansen joining today. Cameron is a Ohio-based cinematographer. For those of you who are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please feel free to come check out the YouTube channel on Merit Makers Podcast. There in the YouTube video description, you can find an application form. If there are any freelancers, video production, or film production people out there who want to come on the show, you can fill out that form and let us know you exist. If you send me some basic information, I'll be more than happy to reach out and hopefully get you on a future episode. So with that being said, Cameron... Thanks for taking the time to join us. I appreciate you coming in today. Of course, it's good to be here, man. Absolutely, glad to have you. So, just to let you uh, just to let you know about how the show goes. Usually, we uh, ask for socials up front, and then I sort of get into the industry side of things. This is also just to let people know as well how this show works because we're still kind of early on. Sure. We haven't, you know, passed like fifteen episodes yet. So. Um, in terms of how we're going to go through things today, we're going to go into industry topics and then um, hopefully get into some really good conversation and get your story at the end. So to start things off, where can people find you? Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, LinkedIn? Instagram um, is Cameron.in.hanson. The extra in is a little confusing for people sometimes, as well as, I guess, my um, por- portfolio website, which is Cameron dot com which is all one all one some people forget the extra in in there because it's kind of hidden so we're you know trying trying to get the brand right but there is another cameronhanson.com that somebody got say so they snatched it from underneath me i guess so yeah don't forget the extra in afterwards that's my middle initial so that's yeah. an issue i'd love to talk about <laughs> later today as well is getting into the whole like what are people going to do when you try to make like a media company mm-hmm. or a brand and someone already has the name like that's already becoming a problem for me and my stuff that i'm trying yeah. to do so it's like not that anyone has too many scammer i was gonna say there. with your last name i, I find that hard to believe but <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't think there was as many cameron hansons as there were but then i'm like googling and i'm like i'm like the eighth one that comes up i was like what are these other people doing out here i don't even i don't understand but even with me, you would be surprised. Like, there's at least three of us out there that are on the internet. There's a, there's, I actually talked to this person. There's yeah. another me out there, another Chris Skamra, who works at the Capitol Building in security. He, he was a part of a canine. Really? Unit. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised even if he listens to this show. That's um, funny. And then there's a doctor me out there somewhere who's got a, <laughs> a PhD in some sort of um, health field, and he's, like, really established. Like, okay, cool. That's the, a hard the flex. The funny thing is, too, is he's got an IMDb page. The doctor guy, because he played in some type, he didn't play, he, he represented himself in like okay. a documentary or something, and they gave him IMDb credit. So I was Man. like, huh? So you can't even get that one for yourself. I know. Is he one? Um, uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I'm I'm Chris Skamra on IMDb. Is he Christopher? He's Christopher. Okay. So like my, technically my full legal name is Christopher, but I go by Chris all over the place. Right. So it's not a problem. Anyway, let's talk about already you. going off on tangents. I know, but I mean, like we've we've had a, a year to cultivate friendship to be able to right. do it, so very grateful for that. Let's um, get into your industry side of things. So, um, your primary focus right now is DP cinematographer, mm-hmm. um, camera operation. Um, would you mind telling me a little bit about what it is you focus on specifically in your work, and what are you trying to pursue right now? This is mainly for producers, directors or even fellow freelancers out there who may want to reach out to you over Instagram or 
through your website even to contact and hopefully collaborate in the future? What is it that you are currently trying to do in the industry? Yeah, so I guess um, as far as what I'm trying to do, just trying to, you know, um, make great motion pictures, man. I just like, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of silly to say it like that, but um, depending on the, it can always depend on the project. Like if sometimes, you know, you get a project and you're like, I want to go as close to realism as I can. And like not use almost all natural lighting, um, and sometimes you go the opposite route where you're like, I want a lot of color and I want um, clearly non-realistic colors involved. Um, but I do like a nice sharp, crisp image for the most part. Um, I do a lot of shots with movement involved at the moment. That's kind of um, what I find most interesting is camera movement so I do a lot of that as well typically unless it's not called for then um, I don't really do it but you know I'm just trying to my job is to supplement what's written on the script and to make it come to life and to use my uh, imagination and my creativity to make that happen as best as I can at least Um, yeah just making the director and the writer and all the producers uh, vision into reality so very much on the execution side of things then. Yeah. So in terms of workflow, this is another um, another question I like to ask people, or generally I, I try to enter into this realm. Um, what is it like to work with Cameron on set? What are your things that you value when you are um, on scene, on the ground, working? Are you more of a very meticulous, we have to have everything planned out? Or are you more so, plans are a bit restrictive for me and I like to go with the flow? There is, you know, there's some lines that are already drawn in the sand, so to speak, when Mm -hmm. it comes to the industry where it's like, usually it's a very good idea to have a shot list and a storyboard and going in, you kind of have to have an idea of what you're shooting. Um, But I know there are some people out there that they stick to the script, not to use a bad pun, um, to uh, make sure that you are shooting only the shots that you planned. Mm -hmm. Or there are other people that get there and they make their best stuff in the moment, off the cuff, because it wasn't planned and they just found a really cool angle that no one could have planned for and you end up using that and it's the best take of the film. You get what I'm saying? It's like, what are things that you, how is is it that you operate to give people out there an idea of what it's like to work with Cameron? Yeah, I think it's 50-50. Not to use like a cop-out answer or anything, but I think it, it, like I said earlier, depends on the project. Like I've done some projects where there's zero pre-production planning on my part and that was just because that's just the way it worked out. Um, it just wasn't needed, and I had no access to go to the set that we were going to use. I like I showed up on the set the first day, seeing what it looked like, just like everybody else, and so it's kind of hard to plan when you haven't been to the set yet at all. Um, and then I've been on some, like the one we're doing right now called Any Task, um, where I got to go to the space, and I got to um, use a program that I like called Cine Tracer to kind of plan out what I thought would be best and um, have lighting situations and make some previs, which is what I like because sometimes I have stuff in my head and being able to even crudely um, show people what I have in mind, even if it's not perfect and it's not 100% accurate as to what we're going to end up doing, um, I like to have it there because then that can also inspire the people I work around. So, um, but as far as like, Storyboarding, I do like to use Cine Tracer to storyboard nowadays. I've been getting on that train a little bit, at least to like give the director and producers an idea about what I'm thinking as far as um, 
angles and lighting and um, sort of the mood. But I feel like it's super important to improv on set as well as far as, um, you know, like some things you just can't account for, like the way an actor moves or the way um, the light is hitting just right off of this certain paint that you couldn't account for. Like we had no idea that the white walls in the building we were in the other day were going to reflect the way they did and make certain skin tones look the certain way. So it's kind of happy. It's like filmmaker happy accidents sort of things. Like it just, it just worked out for the best. Um, so yeah, I like, I like a good amount of improv, like sticking to the storyboards, getting the stuff you know you need. And then if you have time, maybe trying it a different way. Or if you find something, you're like, wow, this is so much better. Then just just do it. As long as you have the stuff that you know you need, I don't see the problem in um, getting an extra shot or trying something new on at the time because there's always untold and unknown variables that happen on the shoot, on the day of the shoot. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think that as a from a producing and camera standpoint as well in terms of my background – you can never 100% plan for a shoot. What I mean by that is there are always going to be things that pop up or things that are unexpected that happen. They may be small and minute or they could be gigantic and disastrous. Mm-hmm. It's, you need to be as prepared as possible, in my opinion, and from my experience going into the shoot so that you can have the least stressful time possible and everybody can um, be able to creatively fulfill their ambitions and dreams and passion and also... Uh, deliver a really good product yeah um, going into things as well with um, moving into sort of workflow a little bit more um, question I have then when it comes to working with directors this is something I like to ask our DPs um, is what is more valuable to you or what which do you as a cinematographer need more when it comes to working with a counterpart of a director someone in the director's shoes who um, knows what they want or someone who um, is very free reigning and, and only worries about the story mm-hmm. and the actors whereas you handle um, how it looks if that makes sense one is focused on performance where they let you worry about the image or someone who has a reign over everything not in a bad way but you know they've got it under control and that mm-hmm. way you can just focus on executing their vision do you like to worry about adding your own spin on it or do you need that structure is what I'm trying to get to. I preferably, um, I like if they tell me up front about what their goal is for a shot or a scene. So that way I can, I can go from there and start working. So like I, I would ask like, do you want this to be moody? Do you want like, what is the time of day? Like what is, what is the feel that you're trying to, like, what is the scene trying to portray? I guess at the end of the day. Is it supposed to be sad? Is it supposed to be happy? Because then from there, you can go and decide whether it should be a bright scene or whether it should be super moody or warm or cold. Um, I think that you have to start there first. But if I had to say which one I prefer, it would be the one, the director that's focusing more on the acting and the actors and the story and building that. Um, giving me tips, of course, because it's it's at the end of the day, they're in charge, so they should tell me what their vision is or if it's a writer, what they had in mind when they wrote it. Um, because it's it's all a collaborative team effort, so I, would, I wouldn't say I would ever want somebody just to be like, yeah, just do whatever you want, because then what if I do something and they end up not liking it? Mm. Then it's just my fault all, all around. Um, whereas, like, 
you know, it's it's always good to get multiple takes on things too. And at least at the very end of the day, um, more parties involved can be like, I had a hand in that, or that was our collaborative effort together. Um, like, yeah, I guess just, um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, it's okay. Just it's like, yeah, I, I just want people involved. And I think that, um, the more, the more you're involved with certain things, if you can handle it, like if, if a director is putting a lot of time and effort into like handholding me through like what exactly they want, then that's their prerogative. Like they should be able to do that if they want, but I, I would rather them trust me and free up their time to go do other things. Cause they're always busy. They're always doing something along with like you as a producer, like at least on the set we've been on, like you're always doing something. So I would rather you not have to, I would rather prove myself and not have to uh, have you worry about me or um, me to be able to take a load off of you or whatever director I'm working with um, to, you know, just have faith in the process, know that they, they gave their two cents on what they want mm. and I can just go run with it. And that's something that I as a producer or anyone as a director, I think would really appreciate. And that's yeah. part of the reason why we bring on um, other team members is so that we can delegate. It's yeah. all about making sure that not only do we have people to hand off responsibility to, but that those people can be confident and competent enough to handle it. Um, from my experience with you, you are definitely competent enough to handle those things. So thank I you, appreciate <laughs> bringing that on. I don't mean to butter you up or make it seem like, you know, over compliment or anything. Um, but I do enjoy working with you. And that's the part For of sure. the reason why I asked that question is because, um, Time on set is money mm -hmm. to a lot of people. And sometimes if the director has to spend a lot of time um, over the shoulder of the DP because they really, 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 really want this scene to look a certain way or they would just want to direct and make sure that the camera is exactly right. I mean, that's that's the director's choice of mm -hmm. how much responsibility they want to um, delegate and also... Uh, in terms of money, I suppose, how much are they willing to spend on making the image in their mind's eye, I suppose. Um, and that's also the, the contrast there, too, for the, for the DP, for the director of photography. Sometimes you're hopping from job to job and you don't have enough time to go through pre-vis or mm -hmm. pre-pro with the director. You don't have, um, on larger projects, five, six months to go through storyboarding and get uh, the, the pre-planning just right. It all depends on project scale. Yeah. If you are going to be shooting a, a multi-thousand dollar feature film, you probably want to make sure that you know what you're doing when you're going on to set. But if you're coming on as a director of photography sometimes and you don't have that, um, that pre-planning or you don't have anything in your head up front, you need the director to tell you what to do because you're, uh, you don't know what they want. And so that's part of the reason why I asked you that question is because everyone's different. And by answering that, you've let everyone know kind of how you work and what it's like a little bit to be uh, working with you. Yeah. And I, I want to get to any task in a little bit. So we'll definitely bring that up. That's for those of you who are listening that may not know what that project is. I'm sure it'll be out by the time this episode is available. Probably. Probably we'll link it in the description of the YouTube video. For those of you who want to go check that out, go find the YouTube channel. <laughs> Shameless plug. And uh, you can watch the end product of the short film there. That is a project that we put together with Gibson Davis, as well as um, Cameron here and a bunch of other really, really cool people. Something I was going to say about Gibson, um, I think the first thing, back to your point about, um, you know, getting the director's opinion. I think the first thing I asked him when we talked about um, the project in general was, you tell me 
exactly the scenes that you want and things that you want to be in there. And then I'll go from there because I want to make sure we get in what exactly you have pictured and then I'll fill in the cracks and I'll do the rest. Um, I just think that's important to point out because for this very specific project, he wanted certain things like the fight scene to be a certain way. And I was like, all right, you handle the fight scene. If you want me to do the other stuff and sort of plan for that, then that'll be your chunk and this will be my chunk. Agreed. And that's, um, I think this was, I, I could be wrong and I want to find out more about what you shot in the past. I've been on one other project with you and then we've met and chatted in a bunch of different places in the past. Mm -hmm. um, but I think any task is definitely a project um, uh, that had a lot of firsts mm -hmm. for everybody. I don't know, was that your first take on an action scene? That was my first action scene that I shot this way. So I, I've done another action scene um, on a film called Sins for Hire, but it was like our take at kind of like the daredevil hallway scene in, um, in the show of just like one long continuous take of the main character fighting through a hallway. So we tried to do that, but the space we had was very, very limited. And in order to get it all in one take, we thought it would be best to use a gimbal. So he's my gimbal. So it was not like we're, for any test we're doing handheld, which is very different because I primarily, from al almost everything I do, I usually shoot with a gimbal. And now with any test, that's starting to change a little bit um, to the point where I'm not afraid not to use the gimbal anymore. Nice. Um, I think I'll always like a good like Ronin. Um, I just got the RS2, so I've been trying to, I've been itching to actually use that on a production, but um, I'm finding that like it's needed when it's needed. And if you don't actually need it, a little handheld shake isn't going to kill anybody for the most part. So yeah, it's definitely opened my eyes to a different um, way of shooting, I guess. And it's been a lot of fun doing action scenes this way because Gibson knows what he's talking about with action scenes. He's done, he loves them and he's, I know in other films he's done them too. So learning from him, like his techniques that he uses when he would shoot them and then getting to um, actually do them and be physical and like in the faces of the actors and like doing almost like doing the stunts with them is, has been a fun experience. I'd love to get into a little bit of how you incorporate, how we incorporated action and stunts into the camera work. Not that we had you, you know, jumping off of buildings or anything. Not yet. Uh, not yet. <laughs> Maybe later down the road, but uh, with, that being said as well, I want to make sure that we are using this as sort of a, a, a prologue or a prelude. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> a, sne a, a, bus, a peek behind the curtain into any task because I'm going to have Gibson on later on. Yeah. And we'll take a deep dive into that project. So I'm trying I'm trying to stay in our lane of camera work here for that show right. just to just FYI for you. So we don't talk too much about the behind the scenes exactly. <laughs> directing parts of it. So we got to give him something to talk about too. Exactly. Right. So... Um, not to say, hey, let's go over here and talk about something else now, but it's more like um, I'm, I, I do want to make sure I can cover all the camera-oriented stuff with you because for on the producing side, um, I have produced a lot of different projects before in the past. However, I have not done something to this, I suppose, scale mm -hmm. um, where I have been the sole, and this is not to come off as, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to brag or... It's a sick brag. Blow up my, blow up my head or anything. <laughs> when it comes to flexing, I try to keep things humble. Sure. Um, but I have to also communicate the specifics of the project. So I'm going to try and go and do that now. Right. 
um, this is the first project that I have produced where I have been the main supplier of funds thus far. Um, we still have two days to go in production mm -hmm. uh, as of recording this. Um, supplier of funds, so I have executive producer credit here. I did a lot of the organization, call sheets, phone calls. I brought on all the crew. Yeah. Um, I basically gave Gibson a call one day and asked him if he had any scripts up and this is about as deep into background as I'll go on this. But he said, yeah, I've got this, I've got this short film script I'm trying to do. It's about eight, 10 pages. I'm like, great, let's shoot it. He's like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> and so, uh, I, we started out doing it from there. So I'm going to save the backstory other than that for the future. But, um, on the producing side, uh, in terms of when we're talking about firsts, uh, this has been one of my first whacks at being entirely responsible for a project in regards to logistics, planning, crew, funding, mm -hmm. um, purchasing, rentals, and all of that. I've done all these different things separately, but never really under one roof. And so right. I'm really proud of what we did day one, and I'm really looking forward to what days two and three will bring on. For you, in regards to working with um, actors that have stunt experience, I know that Gibson was very, very happy to have the cast that we do because they have some um, combat or fighting background. I'm mm -hmm. not entirely sure all of what that entails because that's kind of his world right whereas i'm handling logistics crew equipment all of that he's handling story and talent um, which we'll talk about on a later episode mm -hmm. feel free to check that out and tune in everybody but um from the camera side was there anything in particular that you had to prep for yourself or um what were maybe some interesting aspects of working with our two main talent um stetson and scotty on set um this past this past shoot day um, what were some of the interesting parts of working with the action side of things for you? Well, I had to build out my uh, handheld rig. I usually, I own my Blackmagic Pocket 4K, and, um, you know, we weren't broken on lenses, cine lenses for that. Um, and I was kind of concerned because I've never used it for this sort of thing before. And I was like, well, I hope it holds up because <laughs> I, uh, like I said, never used it for this. So, I just kind of built it out and like I tested it in my room. Like I have a neck strap for it and stuff. I primarily use the gimbal, but a lot like a like six months ago, I um I, w I was like I need to rig it out for like a tripod or if I wanted to go handheld with it. So I did. Um, and the RS2 comes if you buy the Pro Combo. I think it comes with a wireless transmitter, like for your phones specifically. Um, and then I also own a Nucleus Nano. So we had the Nucleus Nano on there. And um, so I was like, for this fight scene, I can't just have somebody, because primarily, usually, I have somebody over my shoulder um, with a separate monitor, kind of like right here, and they're they're pulling focus for me with a separate monitor attached to me. Well, for this, that would be so limiting to, like, how much I could, like, whip the camera and um, do the rolls and stuff with the actors when they're doing it. So... I was like, this is a perfect time to test out this wireless transmitter, um, and you have the iPad. Right. So I was like, instead of just using somebody's phone, we can use the iPad as a director's monitor and a focus puller's monitor. So um, there's a couple people that pulled focus throughout the day, but um, for the actual fight scene, you you were pulling focus for me, and um, probably not an easy task at all. <laughs> but um, <laughs> good fun. It probably would have been a probably would have been a red task if I had to say. Um, little movie quote for you there once you see it. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. The wireless transmitter worked really well, I think. And it has a shorter battery life than I would have liked. But for the most part, I was really happy with like 
how well it was working, how much freedom it gave me just to walk around and do my thing and not have to worry about like a cable and like pulling the person along with me. Cause I've definitely been on sets where I've had a focus puller and I'm limited to like having a leash. Yeah. So I'm like, come on, let's go <laughs> get, get your 40 foot cable. We got to go over here now and then just walking over there. But man, this while that wireless transmitter really changed the game, especially for this fight scene. So I'm, I, I really like that. Um, definitely worth the money on that one. So if you, if you wireless transmitters, they're they're great. I totally know how you feel from a camera perspective because I also do director photography, camera operation on top of the producing and photography stuff that I do, as well as AC. Mm -hmm. So it's like my world is logistics, crew, management, like um, what's what's the word leadership, I suppose, right. and also camera department currently on top of photography. Um, and you're right, I was I was ACing for you, but with the focus pulling and stuff, I was very, very surprised, like genuinely surprised how well the wireless the held latency up. latency of it. Yeah, uh, held up with an iPad because I was, I've, I've been on set with like Teradek type stuff before and so I'm used to using that level of kit in terms of transmission quality and you can, uh, you can rely on that stuff really, really heavily. Um, but with something that I, I, I haven't looked into the transmitter specifically that you used, mm -hmm. but from what I remember, it's, it wasn't necessarily a high-end or top-end model whatsoever. And I was expecting it to, you know, have interference issues and cause some, like, a lot of different lagging problems where right. I would have my focusing messed up quite a bit because I was just using the Nano. But, like, we only had, from my two hours of staring at the monitor, <laughs> only, like, I can only remember one or two instances where we had to redo a take because mm -hmm. we walked in between too many walls right. and the and the image got messed up. And granted, you know, we weren't hundreds of yards away from each other. The monitor, the iPad was only like maybe 20, 30 feet distance yeah. from you at one time. But still, I can totally relate to the tethering as well because I've been the AC on the other end having to be dragged around by the camera operator right. um, on different shoots places. And it's just... Anyway, pulling yeah, focus so is fun. I enjoy it. Um, would highly it's recommend not that. Not as easy as it looks. <laughs> yeah. Would highly recommend that um, our, uh, upgrading to the RS2 with the uh, the Pro Combo because you get that for basically, I think, like with the with the extra money just upgrading to the Pro Combo, it might come with the normal one, but I'm pretty sure it only comes with the Pro Combo if, I'm, if I remember properly. But Do I think you only get it, I mean, that with the, the focus gears and stuff and. I mean, technically, I think it's only like a hundred bucks, but you can buy it separately, I believe, too. But do you know if so? Is is that a DJI only product? Yeah. And also, does it go off of? Does it have to go off of a Wi-Fi transmission, or is it its own router? If that makes sense, it's its own Wi-Fi. So like, we could be out in the middle of nowhere, I think, and um, as long as the, because like I had to log you in on a iPad, so right. like I had to go through your Wi-Fi, and then find the device on the Wi-Fi, type in the password, and then it connects. That's so, crazy. Yeah. Because I, I didn't know on the day up until like just now mm -hmm. if we were connected to like the location's Wi-Fi router mm -hmm. and then it was kind of like an in-between or if it was direct to connect. Yeah. That's cool. It's direct to the device. It's pretty crazy. I've never used another one thus far in my career, but um, this is so this being the first one, it actually it set the bar pretty high. So I don't know if that's normal, but uh, it's it's definitely a good one just to have that I just got because it came with the thing I got so it came with the Ronin yeah. yeah okay hashtag not sponsored DJI right well we but I love you <laughs> yeah D, I please I sponsor fan uh, I will admit I enjoy I enjoy a good Mavic flight as well yeah. as a Ronin a Ronin rig um mm. 
With that being said, I also want to make sure that we can feature some of your previous work other than any task. Is there anything you wanted to cover on any task before we move on? Um, I don't think so. We don't have much to talk about, uh, seeing as we still have two full shoot days left on any task. But Right. Um, as of this yeah. point in time. <laughs> yeah, as of this point in time. Correct. Okay, cool. So with that being said, um, whenever I bring on someone like a DP, photographer, um, anyone that might have potential portfolio to show, I also want to make sure that I can showcase um, people's talents and skills, both you know verbally through the conversation and also tangibly with any portfolio they're willing to show. Mm -hmm. So uh, what we're going to do right now in this case is play your reel. For those of you who are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you've listened to the show before, by now I'm sure you know what's coming. Feel free to go check out the YouTube video, and uh, we will be seeing you guys in a second once we are back from rolling your DP reel. So without uh, further ado, roll film. All right. So for those of you who may not be aware, who are uh, just coming back from the reel that we just watched, Cameron, how many years have you been in the industry doing this professionally now? Um, it would have been one in January. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like I've been... I knew I, it was short, but that's crazy. It's so weird because I feel like I've done so much and I've had so much growth in just a year. But I, I guess behind the scenes, I've been doing it for a lot longer. I've been doing like YouTube stuff for three years now, maybe maybe going on four, but it, it started out just with my phone, and then, not to get too much in the backstory, but my entire career taking it seriously and, like, pursuing it and, like, knowing what I want to do as a cinematographer has only been since about January, so essentially my entire profession, professional career thus far has been in quarantine. <laughs> Jeez, so... Like when I when we met at the Gear Show for Ohio HD, mm -hmm. I had just made my first film and we had just wrapped on it basically. I remember calling you before that. I think a little bit. Like this is getting into my backstory as well, and I don't want to go too much into story time just yet because mm -hmm. that'll be a little later. But uh, the reason I asked that question initially because I knew it, I knew you had just quote unquote started, and that's not to demean your efforts in any way, but more so to just be like you are not only are taking it seriously, but you're also hustling your butt off. I'm trying. And it's like showing the real wise, like I'm not, like no one's going to claim that to be on like Roger Deakins level, but for right. literally only now that I know being in here for like a year or a little more, like that's not bad. Like the, you only have, you only have so many projects under your belt, but what's there is good. And so that's also part of the reason why aside from us being friends, I wanted to have you on the show is because like, I want to get this guy more work. I appreciate it. Yeah. And that's, that's genuine. That's not me. Like I said, buttering you up or anything and not to flex, um, on my end of things as well, but professionally, like I've been taking this seriously for about seven years now. However, I can relate because I just got out of high school the summer before quarantine. Right. And so I'm in almost the same boat where I've only been able to take it seriously, quote unquote, full time mm -hmm. while still doing online classes since like summer 2019. Right. And so it's like I'm in the same boat almost. I haven't been focusing solely on cinematography, so I don't necessarily have the reel to go up to bat, as it were, with you. But I have, I, I would hope and think, uh, in different areas, similar experience. So um, moving off of that, you and you talked about sort of uh, a second ago where you and I first met. I'd love to get into our interaction at Gear Show. 
Um, but before we get too far away from the reel that we just watched, I want to touch on a few different projects and then we'll get into a little bit more on story time, I suppose, sure. if you want to call it that. Uh, with the um, with the project that you and I first met on or worked together on professionally, that was uh, Instant Coffee with Strangers, which was directed by Thomas Gardner, produced by Philip May. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I'm aware, it hasn't gotten a lot of publication, but it was definitely a fun learning experience for me. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was super fun for everyone involved on leadership, but that's because sure. I was gaffer slash BTS on that. Um, you were there on the best day. Right. <laughs> Out of the shooting I was days. only there for one day. And that was, that in my opinion, was a good shoot. However, um, backstory wise, you know, we don't really want to unnecessarily bash anybody, but I, I heard there were some issues with that shoot. What are some things that you learned kind of on the day for that, which I believe there's one or two clips on the reel showcasing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few clips on there. Primarily the one um, with the people drinking out of a cup. They're at a picnic table. Um, but yeah, so the project itself was a good way to get me back in because I think that was the, f- that might've been the second project I ever worked on, hmm. like being a cinematographer at least. Um, so I was like, this is what's going to get back into it. Um, I had just done one for winter film. So I was like, I was, I was excited to get into it. And there was a lot of growing pains because I think we had a lot of people that were out of practice because quarantine had happened. So I think there was a lot of new people and then including myself, who was still technically new for sure at that time, um, not, n- not really knowing what we wanted. We didn't, we didn't really pre-plan. It was just like, here's the script. Now let's go make it sort of thing. Um, we did some location scouting, but it was only really at one location. So it was at a rest stop. But, um, you know, that, that was definitely one of the biggest learning experiences I've had yet on a film. Just as far as, like, almost knowing, like, what you don't want. Because, and not to say that it was a bad film, because the, con- the content was there and Thomas did a really good job. And his writing is really fun and interesting and thought-provoking. But we just had a lot of technical issues that we just didn't foresee because of the fact that we had we had faith in the gear and the gear let us down. Uh-oh. So, for instance, not not to get too much in the weeds of it, but we had issues with audio. So that that's where the film um, kind of just fell apart um, on that aspect. So good audio is very important, and getting it on the day is very important. And being next to a bunch of loud truckers, it turns out not a good idea. <laughs> so <laughs> we had a lot of issues being at a rest stop with a lot of traffic. It was right next to the highway. We had a lot of wind on the at least the first day of shooting, um, and then. We had a re- we ran out of sunlight. It was is just a lot of little issues that like I I've learned so much now from those mistakes that we made of you know plan you got to plan for multiple days. Um, and we I think where one of the big issues landed was also we filmed what was supposed to be on the same day about two months apart. Oh dear. So that was <laughs> that was also not great. We could not we just could not get schedules to line up um, as far as like the crew and um, also the actors to be able to be there for anytime soon. Cause I think one of them was going out of town for a long time and it was, it was just kind of a mess in general, but I'm still proud of like most of the cinematography in it. Um, even though it was like my second film I had ever done. Um, but yeah, lots of learning experiences out of that one. Well, still, I mean, even on the gaffing side, like I, even I learned some stuff, not saying that I am, 
you know, all knowing and sure. I know everything about, I know, I, I like to say I know everything about nothing. But there's always <laughs> more to learn. Sure. Um, but I totally agree. The wind was a huge issue for me personally because I had, thankfully, I had a, uh, I had Jack Miller from mm-hmm. um, Cincinnati, hopefully future guest of the show right. at some point, um, coming up to help with um, Genie. He and I were sort of tag teaming the shoot, and an issue that we had was we had to wrestle a sail almost. Yeah. Um, we brought a sheet, a large sheet of diffusion to use because we knew we were going to be working outside, and we didn't necessarily have a lot of power. To work with um, lighting wise we had a few panels yeah but like the wind was a huge issue for us because we were trying to hold up a um, large like at least 10 by 10 sheet of diffusion um, to block the sunlight mm-hmm. on top of the wind going everywhere with you know actors the hair. same direction as you were holding up it was like you were yes. literally holding up a sail for a sailboat we were holding we were trying to hold back the wind to make sure that you know, your shot could not be overexposed. Right. And that's not saying, oh, look what we did. And even for just you, stop the wind like, from hitting the mic. There were problems everywhere. Like, yeah, we were also trying to protect the mic because we only had a dead cat for that. We weren't working mm-hmm. with a blimp or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, th- there were certainly issues with that shoot, but a definitely a learning experience for everybody. And yeah. I think it was valuable for us in particular, the, the you and I, because we, after that shoot, um, stayed in touch over Instagram and kept in contact. Mm-hmm. So let's maybe backtrack a little bit to beginning of quarantine in that case with um, Gear Show. Yep. There's a little bit of history there with myself with Ohio HD and um, I regularly volunteered with them for Gear Show. Um, we haven't had I don't we haven't had a second one this year that I'm aware of. If it did happen, I didn't never heard about yeah, it. And now that I'm so. thinking about it, it's it's now April when we're recording this. Yeah. Huh. Honestly, I, I have It would have happened a few days like a week or Yeah, week it would have it would have happened at least a couple weeks ago because normally they're like tail end of March or mm-hmm. midway through March. Either way, um up until when we had met, I had volunteered at Gear Show once or twice before. And that same day that you and I were there, I was running around trying to take care of vendors because that was kind of my my role that I was there for helping volunteer um making sure that they were taking care of the guys who worked for like sony canon airy all these brands that were represented at the show Mm -hmm. because it's sort of like i like to call it the camera the comic con for cameras right and over the midwest it draws a lot of really good talent and it's a really good networking experience and speaking of networking that's where you and i kind of first had our first in-person conversation um do you remember what we talked about on on that first day? I I honestly don't, which is why I'm asking. Um, not I don't think we had a lot of time to talk, and I think that was the part of the problem because you had so much to do. Um, it was more like I think you messaged me on Instagram, and I was like, "Who's this guy?" I was like, "Oh, he does a lot of stuff," and I was like, "Oh, well, you might be a good person to get in contact with." And you, I think I don't know how we found out we were going to be at the gear show together. I think you might have posted about it on your story or something. And I was like, "Hey, I'm going to that," and you're like, "Well." Yeah, let's Come meet see up. Me. Probably is what I said, something so, like that. Yeah, so we just met up. We, you're like, you know, we met in person. We're like, oh, don't touch each other, COVID. And, <laughs> and meanwhile, we're like this close to each other, like just face to face. And there weren't masks. You know. There wasn't a mask mandate at that nope. point. But we, we had hand we thought sanitizer. It, we thought it was we thought it was only by like putting your hands in your mouth at that point. I think something so, like that. Anyway, if I remember correctly, that was castle. yes, that was the day of lockdown. the the next day. I think it was the day that they shut everything down in Ohio. Right. Yeah, I remember there being a mandate being put in place that day where you could only have a maximum event 
capacity of either 50 or 150 or something. And we were like just over that total for mm-hmm. the day, but it was in and out because people were showing up and then leaving at different parts of the I day. I probably wasn't even aware of that at that time that yeah. that was even happening. Cause it's crazy. I just remember going in there and meeting a few people, um, passing out the old business cards and then falling in love with RE cameras and then moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> moving on to, with life. See yeah. you next year. Ari. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I'll be back. I'm sure. <laughs> Did you get one of the hats? Yes, I did. I got, like, everything. I got a shirt that I always wear. Um, I love that shirt so much. And then I got a hat. I don't, I'm not much of a hat guy, so I don't wear the hat, but I have it hanging in my room. Well, what I mean by that was, like, there's there were specifically airy hats yeah. that are, like, prime merchandise for people who go to those events. Like, oh, really? It's, it's kind of a thing for... They run out really, really quick at OHD whenever Aerie is there. I was like one of the first people there, and I think they were still setting up when I approached them. Mm. I didn't even know what they were setting up at the time. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we have all this stuff. Do you want this stuff? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I like stuff. They didn't have very much, <laughs> so maybe I got like a limited supply of it there. So but I got like the shirt and then the hat. Nice. And then I feel like I got something else, but I don't remember. But it was pretty cool. Either way, yeah. Um, not to um, linger on that too long, but... It, that was that was a very interesting day, um, and I think marks a, a pretty good uh, a pretty good milestone in the relationship there. So, moving forward from that, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other projects on your reel. There's two in particular uh, that I wanted to at least touch on and give you the opportunity to share about. If there's anything interesting or sure. stuff you learned from those projects, there's um, there's a project featuring a motorcycle, and forgive me, I don't remember the name. Believe um, me, I had trouble enough naming it. Okay. So I, I think I settled on Autumn Ride, and it's only on my YouTube. I don't have it on my um, on my actual page on um, like my website because it doesn't really have anything to do with what I do. It's not a short film. It's more of like my take at an ad or like a short commercial or like a product video. Um, I just knew I, I, get, I was kind of in a drought of projects at the time, so I didn't like have anything going on. Um, I had a buddy, his name's Ethan Cash, and he just has, like, this nice hipster aesthetic to him, and he has a nice motorcycle, and I was like, hey, do you want to, like, make something? Like, he, he he's kind of, he has the chops to be an actor. Like, he wants to go into radio and stuff, so I'm like, he, he loves the he, he loves the camera, so I was like, hey, man, do you want to potentially be, like, the star of this, like, short? You don't have to say anything. You just have to, like, ride your motorcycle, and I'll capture it, and he's like, sure, so it was fall. And the, the leaves, I had, I was waiting until the leaves were, like, a nice bright orange and red. Because um, we, we had planned it, like, a month or two ahead of time. And I was like, once they get to a certain color, we're going to try to get a day and go out and just film this in one day. So it's we started at, like, 5. And then it was just me, him, and his girlfriend. so And a car. A car and a motorcycle. So um, it was all shot on with my Blackmagic, Rogan on lenses, and my um, Ronin S at the time. And for some of the shots, like I, I was like, his girlfriend was there and I was like, can you, his now fiance, I think, um, was there. And I was like, can you, can you drive my car? And I'm just going to sit in the back <laughs> with the, with the, I have a CRV with the, with the trunk open. And I'm just going to like sit out the back and like hold the gimbal and hope I don't fall out. So I was like, I was focusing. I had my hand kind of in a claw shape like this. I had the gimbal resting on me with my strap. And my hand was maneuvering the focus while I was looking and then hanging on with this hand to my car <laughs> so I didn't fall <laughs> out. So it was a whole thing. But I think it's like the s- third shot in my reel of him coming over the hill and him looking to the side. And I, it, I got it in slow motion. And I was like, I love that shot so much. Mm-hmm. So 
um, yeah, that's on my YouTube. So just Cameron Hansen um, with my profile picture. Just like that's everything. It's just me with a camera. Um, but I was really proud of that because it, it was all shot in one day and like a matter of two hours because the sun was going down. And we wrapped on the last shot as the sun was setting. And it's a little dark on the video, I'll admit. But at the same time, it was just like, I don't know. Like, it, it, that video actually got shared on Rokinon's Instagram page. Sweet. So I was really happy about that. Like, I just tagged them, wasn't expecting anything. And then they actually, like, contacted me, and they were like, can we post this on our page? And I was like, yes, absolutely. You can do whatever you want with it. <laughs> you want to you turn it into commercial? I'll give it to you for free. So they did post it on their Instagram page, and um, so that was a pretty proud moment. I was like, this lens company that I enjoy is just, like, literally DM'd me asking if, or, yeah, they they commented and I think they DM'd me and I had to like figure out a way to give them the video. But so that was really cool. That was a proud moment. I was like, man, I made it. I mean, <laughs> it feels good. I don't know when, when companies like that contact you and ask you for your work. That's pretty cool. So early on too. And I yeah. mean, like that's within a year practically of, I think it was like six starting. months, six or seven, eight months ish. Still. I mean, the thing, the thing though is like, if you ever get reached out to by a Rokinon, by an Able Cine, by uh, a Zeiss or an Airy or anyone mm -hmm. like that, it's like, okay, like uh, that we're getting somewhere. Yeah, that's cool. And I thought I, I remember you posting about that a little. I was like so proud of that. Guy. Yeah, I thought about trying to get it, give it to Honda because it, it's a Honda motorcycle, hmm. and I remember trying to. I had people. Uh, friends of mine approached me about like you should like try to give this to them for free and then maybe they'll actually use it as like an ad or something and i was like maybe the music's licensed from artlist and so technically it's it's commercial ready in theory i still have the raw files and stuff um so it could be ready to go so if anyone's watching them they want it <laughs> for something <laughs> yeah. let's let's do it but yeah it was just fun it was just like it, that was like my experimental time with um using all natural lighting we use a single light it was all the sun it was all the sun and like what the black magic could capture. And um, I was experimenting with speed ramping at the time of like, you know, speeding up and then like suddenly going to slow motion. So that was, that was the main reason. I just wanted to do it for fun. Like I didn't have any intention on like putting it anywhere besides my Instagram. It's just like, this is what I've been up to. I still do film things. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then it ended up doing pretty well. So I don't know. I don't remember if we covered this earlier and when we were talking about your rig and and all that. But just to double check, you have the Blackmagic Pocket 4K, yeah. correct? Okay. Just wanted to make sure that was out there in the public, mm -hmm. and I got it correct, and it wasn't you know misrepresenting, right? Because there are multiple versions of the Pocket. Um, with that being said, moving on to the second project with uh, I think it's called Christmas Alone. You're yep. working with Caitlin Wilson. Was that also a uh, Gardner production? Yes. That's something he wrote. Um, it's kind of inspired, I believe, by quarantine and not being able to see family over the holidays. So it's basically, that is that is on my website, and it's also on Vimeo um, under Thomas's account. And that was shot in a day, two days. I want to maybe one or two days. I can't remember. It felt like it was a long shoot, but... Um, with just the three of us, it was me, him, and Caitlin, and then that was it. Um, I had like soft boxes that I set up, and for lighting and inside, and then we used practicals for everything else. Um, so that was fun, but we basically just about like Caitlin's character going through the motions of like being sad that she's not 
um, going to be able to see her family over the holidays because of quarantine and stuff like that. Like it begins with her like trying to relive her childhood, I guess, by going to a playground and um, kind of being inspired to change change a little bit and to like be ha- be happy with um, just being by herself and finding joy and you know just being being with you, being by yourself. Hmm. With the project going into um i I assume that was around christmas time Mm -hmm. we wanted to release it before christmas eve i think so we tried to release it like a a day or two before christmas eve did you did you guys meet that mark yep sweet okay that's kind of like what i was trying to get into is even though it was a small shoot like even though you guys had either one or two days like you said scheduling stuff like december 20th uh, I shouldn't say that, maybe like December 10th mm-hmm. through the 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, anywhere in that time frame is usually really tough for people. Yeah. So was there any, um, was there any scheduling lessons you guys had to learn there? Or what were some, what were some things that you guys like coming, you've worked on sets of what I'm trying to get to is with a lot of people, mm-hmm. so to speak, quote unquote, for COVID standards. And uh, with just now you, Thomas, and Caitlin, yeah. what are some of the differences in your workflow as the DP? Are there more or less things to think about? That's kind of a silly question because obviously there's more if you're doing sure. it by yourself. But just to give you an idea of what I'm trying to get to, what are what's your mindset change when going from um, delegated with little responsibility or lots of responsibility, I suppose? More things to handle. Yeah. Less. So with that, being only three people, I had to do a lot. Um, like Thomas had to focus a lot on the acting and also set design. And we all had to like, it took a long time, I think just because we didn't have any hands. So it was just like, you know, just the three of us. So I had to go set up the lights. I had to go make sure the camera was okay. I had, a, and I had it on me the whole time. So I had the rig attached to me with a strap on my Ronin because luckily it's faster than setting up a tripod, make sure it's level and doing all this stuff. So that was kind of my go-to, especially for that sort of run and gun thing. Um, we had to deal with the weather. We were like, is it going to rain? I have this very expensive rig that on me. and a, Like I had a trash bag in my pocket just in case to like throw over it really quick. And it did rain. Like we had, a, we, we sat outside under an awning for an hour and just mm-hmm. waiting for it to stop, hopefully. And eventually it did. And it actually created like a nice like soft box glow on everything. So it was like, it's so weird. That's like I was talking about earlier, just, um, Happy accidents? Filmmaking happy accidents of just like, wow, that actually looks pretty good. (laughs) So like, I don't know. It's actually the the beginning shot of my reel is two scenes from, or two shots from that film of Caitlin going down a blue slide. Like she was perfect, man. Like had the, we we didn't even know if that playground was going to work. We just were like, it kind of has to, so we're just going to go there. (laughs) So like it goes back to like, you know, just improving it and hoping that we can get it. We have an, we have a location, we have an actor, so let's just go make it work. And, um, you know, it worked really well with her blue mask and her off her like pale blue mask with the, with the dark blue slide and then her red coat. And I was like, man, that looks, that looks pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was so weird. Um, I was just really proud of that. That was like when I first started getting into color grading too. So I like have been delving into color grading more of my own stuff. And, uh, I was really proud of the grade on that one too. But, um, so getting back to the main point, yeah, like with three people, you have to do a lot. So uh, we were always running around, making sure things look good. Some things slipped through the cracks and then we'd notice and then be like, 
oh, okay, well, we got to move this light now. We're going to move this over here. Um, I had to pull focus for myself, which was kind of hard when I'm doing movements um, and walking and, you know, doing certain, like, crane shots that I would do for the film. Um, be a little difficult, but that's kind of part of the gig I got, I guess, for the way I shoot sometimes is I just make it work. That's what you have to do sometimes. I mm -hmm. mean, like, from the producing world, it's all about pre-plan ahead as much as possible to be able to mitigate problems before they occur. Yeah. Solve the issue before it becomes an even bigger problem. <laughs> um, on Not on the day, but in the weeks leading up to the shoot. And then if you do that adequately enough mm -hmm. on the day, you will have much more energy than previously thought to be able to handle any fires that pop up that you need to put out or um, be able to mitigate any um, damages that may occur on the day because something is going to go wrong. <laughs> there's a finite, I feel like, I, I definitely believe there's a finite number, like amount of decisions you can make in a day as a human. Mm. And uh, like, for instance, on that day, on the day of our shoot, recently for any task, I like had my clothes laid out because I knew I did not want to wake up and decide what I was going to wear that day. So like yes. I, I previously, I, I, I don't do that normally. Like I would do that like when I was in school as a kid, but like I don't do that as an adult anymore. But for things like shoot days, I go ahead and pre-plan what I'm going to wear. I make sure that everything's set to go and all I have to do is either throw something quickly in a bag or it's already bagged um, or set up or in a case or something. So that way... I have to make the minimal amount of decisions until I get to set. Exactly. Yeah. Saving brain power. That is huge for me personally moving forward is something that I'm trying to do right now. Mm -hmm. And it's not something I've been able to implement yet, but something I really want to do is since I wear a lot of hats, I um, produce, I camera up, DP, AC, um, BTS photo. I want to have even like PA on larger shoots, like higher end budget, just to be able to be in the space and learn and observe people. I do PA stuff. Yeah. Um, what I'm trying to say is if I am going onto a set the day before, I will load my car. If I'm, if I'm responsible for bringing gear, I'll mm -hmm. load the car or put everything that is um, able to be put in a trunk in the trunk where it's like, I'll keep the valuable stuff inside overnight. Right. right. But um, prepare as much as possible going ahead. But what I really want to do is be able to have different bags that I can just grab and go mm -hmm. that'll have everything I need to do to be an AC. So if I'm bringing a monitor and a focus puller, uh, like a, a, a nucleus to set, I'll have my monitor, my nucleus, bongo ties, um, notes for taking down camera specs, like, you know, um, aperture, ISO numbers, um, stuff that are helpful for either reshooting or helpful for post to know right um camera reports is what i'm trying to get at have everything that i need for the job in mm. the bag so i can grab and go if i'm a pa have a bag filled with markers snacks a bottle of water a towel mm -hmm. um there's plenty of like small things that pas can carry that are a huge help multi-tools knives um same thing for camera have my camera bag ready to go so i can just have that by the door grab and yep. leave even having a spare change of clothes in there, like doing a lot of the thinking beforehand. I'm kind of going on a rant on this case, but, um, and having that prepped before the shoot saves you so much brain power on the day yep. because you didn't have to spend it before you got there, which I think is your overall point as well. And I totally agree is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think it also, some, not to go off on a side tangent, but I think something that's totally undervalued and, um, 
a lot of industries where you have to like hustle to be successful is sleep mm. and how much sleep you get. Um, especially when it comes to like coming in on the top of your game the next day, if you have something the next morning, like I know a lot of people that never get adequate amounts of sleep and I, I can be one of those people, but I try to get good amounts of sleep. I just think I'm bad at sleeping and, and I can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. But I think at the end of the day, it's just like, my quality of sleep isn't there yet. So I'm trying to figure that out. But I'm definitely a big advocate of naps for people if, if you need it. Some people don't need it. But for me, I'm definitely one of those people that um, if I'm not going, like if I'm not constantly on my feet, I'm probably going to fall asleep. And I've, I've been getting better about that with like diet and stuff, trying to figure out the proper amount of food for the day, like trying to eat breakfast more because I never ate breakfast in the past like couple days I've been eating breakfast before things and i've lasted all day and i'm like wow this is awesome i actually have energy for the day so um i think a lot of people like think you always have to be on the grind in order to be semi even semi successful and they think that includes not sleeping and i don't think that's true because if you're just always burnt out and you're always really tired who does that help mm -hmm. like for instance like if you're up studying late i always i like when in school i wasn't exactly the best student or anything but like i definitely valued um, getting to sleep at a decent time over staying up all night studying. I never stayed up all night studying at all, ever. Um, I, I would, I find the best way to do it, not, here's your studying tips for the day, um, study before bed and then go to sleep because that's, supposedly, that's a be the best way to retain information is if you want to learn something, watch something before bed. That's why, almost subconsciously, I guess, I watch a lot of um, film videos, like how-to videos, for film before I go to sleep I always get really motivated before bed and then I go to sleep and then I find that I retain the information better so hmm. maybe try that I don't I'm not a doctor I'm not <laughs> I, I don't not I'm not a brain doctor advice. but yeah. supposedly right. if you study or look up something or try to retain information before you go to sleep you're more likely to retain it in the morning they, I think they found that if you were playing I feel like I saw this on like the Joe Rogan podcast or something but if they I feel like they they I heard that they found that um, if you play an instrument, like I, I'm a drummer, mm -hmm. so if you play, if you're having trouble getting down like a rhythm or something, or like a whole piece on like a violin or something, if you play it um, a few times before you go to sleep, I think it's like you're 45% more likely to remember it when you wake up. Hmm. Um, so I've don't take my word that. for it, but that that's from what, from my understanding, that is the case. Never heard that. That's like, huh. Okay. I mean, that on, on the point of sleep, I totally agree. And that's something I'm currently working on as well. I want to be open and upfront about this. Right now, I am struggling in that department. Mm -hmm. And that's partially because of my own lack of self-discipline and also COVID. Right. I don't want to, you know, make COVID the cop out here. But genuinely, my schedule got so messed up due to decisions that I made during COVID mm -hmm. that it's not like, you know, super life-altering, bad, horrible decisions, but it's more like... With COVID being a thing, I was driven inside, just like everyone else. Sure. And I turned into a night owl, more so than I was already. And before, yeah. I was a night owl. And I considered, like, going to bed at 1 or 2 a.m. being a night owl right. before. Now I think that's going to bed early. Yeah. I am now up until, like, 4 or 5 a.m. And I'm like, I got to fix this because doing podcasts now, like we're mm -hmm. doing here, going on to shoots, having lunch meetings, doing networking... 
I forget that people live lives where they get up at five, six a.m. Yeah. or even eight or nine, and to me that is like I am asleep at yeah. those points during the day now. Um, Can I tell you something about that? Yeah, I think in my experience, I'm still working on it, but in my experience, um, consistency's key. Like creating a schedule of um, waking up and going to sleep around the same time, mm-hmm. trying to, because obviously with our lifestyle, it can be hard, especially if you like you have a shoot until late or something. Yeah. But on those off days, having like a set time, like I, I right now, um, I would like to eventually make it earlier, but right now I go to sleep around 8.30 or <laughs> I wake up <laughs> around 8.30 every day. Okay. I try. Um, some days are easier than others. Like today I popped right up and I don't know why. I just was like, today was just raring to go because I think of maybe it was the interview. I was like the little podcast and stuff. So I was like probably excited, but I popped right up today and, um, but yeah, I try to go to bed around midnight every night, but at least be in bed by like 1130 or something. Just chilling. Popping out of bed used to be an everyday thing for me back before COVID and back when I was in high school. Yeah. And that was like, it was one of those things that I took for granted that I so wish I had now. Because nowadays I wake up, if, if I get to bed by like 2 a.m. Um, or even 1 a.m., I consider that a victory. Mm-hmm. And it's start from where you're at and slow going it's the small it's a small victory in this case but what i'm trying to get at is right now if i go to bed at 1 or 2 a.m i'll wake up probably anywhere from 10 to 10 onwards if i get up at 10 a.m i don't get up at 10 Mm a.m i open my eyes and i realize oh i'm awake now but the difference between now and back then is that i could open my eyes and immediately um, register and know and start thinking about what I was going to do that day. And that yeah. got me out of, that got me out from under the blanket. Uh, but nowadays, like currently I wake up at 10 and I, th- my brain is a fog. It's a mess. It's not, I don't think about anything. I'm just like, okay, I'm awake. What time is it? I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to bed. And then I fall back asleep until noon. And that's when I'm like, okay, I need to get up now. Right. And that's been the, that's been the perspective shift is, I'm not going to say I don't have anything that'll get me out of bed because I'm very grateful to have the opportunities I'm currently working on and there's stuff that is on my plate that I have to do. Mm -hmm. But I'm missing that drive or that ability to just wake up and be like, okay, yeah, let's go. Uh, I don't have that anymore. And I used to, and it was something I took for granted. I think something we talked about before we went on, on air is working out. And I think back when I used to work out consistently back before the dark times of COVID-19, um, that's what got me out of bed. I'd be like, let's go. Let's go. Because I knew as soon as I was done, I would do it in the morning. And I wouldn't even get up that early. Like some people get up at like 5 a.m. I would get up like around 8.30 and I would go in and then um, have the rest of the day after that to you know feel good and reap the benefits and go to work and stuff. Um, but with that being gone, it's hard to feel motivated because like before I looked forward to that. And every day I would have something to look forward to. Mm. Um, with that at least um and i'm sure you're in the same boat with that yep too yep but. yeah before that was um i started consistently going to the gym uh every every day except for like i, I did six on one off so mm-hmm. that was i i had a three-day routine where i would focus on one area of my body um on monday different area tuesday different area wednesday and then the cycle would repeat mm-hmm. and so that's a cycle of three two times a week and then right. one day would be off um where I didn't go to the gym. That was like September, October, 2019. And I got into a good rhythm and partially that was also because I had a friend going with me. Good guy's name is Garrett Bailey. 
um, a really, really longtime friend, hopefully future guest on the show as well. Just sure. directed a few projects and he was, he's part of the main reason why I got into filmmaking. Yeah. Um, he's one of those, he's at like that level of friendship. Um, and so we go way back. Point being, we went to the gym together. Uh, both of us wanted to start getting a little bit more into shape. And so if I have a fun fact about me, if anyone wants to get me on a project, I put a lot of more effort in to something or I am more excited about any endeavor if there is other people involved that I can help contribute to or work alongside. Mm -hmm. It is much harder to get Chris to work on a project, Chris being me, if it is just me. If right. I have other people involved that I can either hang out with or do this project with or um, contribute in some way alongside, that motivates me a lot more. So going to the gym was attractive on its face, but also having Garrett to go with was also huge. Uh, and so that got me out of bed as well because I knew Garrett would be waiting for me or I could beat Garrett to the gym and rub it in his face. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was sort of the mindset waking up every morning like you were talking about. And we were consistent from like September, October 2019 up until March 2020 when yep. COVID happened. And then everything fell apart and I became an extreme night owl. I was totally productive during 2019, uh, during COVID though. Yeah. Um, got on plenty of sets and have grown a ton since then. Lots of life lessons learned, tons of experience gained. I now am confident in G&E more so than I was before at that starting at the gym time period where I was just sort of in camera and doing a little bit of the higher, higher up leadership stuff. But now it's, Camera, producing, genie, directing, directing photography, um, BTS photo, all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. Rant over, but um, what I'm trying to say is I relate. <laughs> yeah, I think the most fun I have on set is when I get to be physical. Like, for example, the fight scene we were doing, like, mm. I was tired, sure, but I wasn't that tired. I loved it. It reminded me of going to the gym again and, like, being able to jump around and, like, be physical. And then you get those same endorphins as, as like, I love lift, lifting weights. I hate cardio. Um, I feel like a lot of people hate cardio, but... Um, yeah, I loved I, I love lifting weights and stuff. So, uh, being able to like jump around and move the camera around, like arms hurting, like feeling a little bit of a sweat going on, um, it really just felt like being back at the gym, and I got those same like feelings like that I would get as I was there. And to your point of like be, wanting to be with somebody, I I could never work out with anyone else at the gym. Hmm. Like if I went with somebody, I I would feel as though I'm competing with them on a bad level because they would always like at least when I first started and people would be like, come to the gym with me. And I'd be like, okay. And then I would have to do the same things they do, even though I wasn't ready. So going by myself, I set my own goals for myself and I could do the machines I wanted to do or lift the weights I wanted to. Um, and I wouldn't have to rely on anybody else. Also, that's where I started listening to podcasts and I would absolutely credit podcasts to the reason I actually kept going to the gym for a year and a half straight because Without them, without finding podcasts, I can't listen to music. Some people listen to music. Yeah, I'm one of those guys. I can just, I just can't do it. Like, I like, I like music. Music's been a huge part of my life for as long as I can remember. But I, I just cannot, <laughs> even, I, I, I get one song. I think it's because I'm too picky about, like, I don't like hardcore workout songs. Like, they get you pumped up. Like, I do, but I can't listen to them over and over again. They're like two minutes, two to three minutes. I need something more long-term that gets my mind off of what I'm doing, not to pump me up for it. So, like, I like listening to podcasts while I work out because it makes me think about other things that are my body hurting. <laughs> so, if, I don't know. For instance, like, I would listen to um, a, a podcast called Dear Hank and John with um, Hank and John Green. 
Um, they're both YouTubers and authors and stuff. And they, they always would always like talk about funny things or like science facts or something. And that would get my mind off of what I was doing. And, but I would still, I would be able to focus just enough on the um, technique of what I was doing, but without being like, wow, my arms hurt like crazy, but like, haha, here's a fun fact about science. I just learned. <laughs> but, so I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but I, I just can't do music podcasts are my way to go with that. No, I don't think you're weird at all. Like plenty of people listen to podcasts instead of music while they're working out. And here's, here's the way I like to look at it when it comes to music both music and podcasts, but more so music, I think. Music in general is the language that is universal. Mm -hmm. It is the uh, mode of communication that everyone can understand, understand even if you don't speak English, like yeah. I just struggled to do a second ago. Uh, with podcasts, I think it's a similar format, although most of the podcasts that we would listen to are in English, unless right. you have some sort of second language that I don't know about. I don't, but I do not. <laughs> with that being said... Um, I think if you listen to music or podcasts while you're working out, the point is to have something to help encourage or get your mind off of um, the activity that you're putting yourself through in order to build your strength and build your muscle. Right. Uh, I think that's key as well to be able to prep your body for physical um, exertion that happens on a set. If you are a camera operator, especially whether you're doing um steady steady cam work or if you're going to be working an easy rig or doing a handheld you need to be physically able to hold up that chunk of metal mm -hmm. for or in plastic for uh, minutes if not hours on end for for takes and it can really wear someone out that's also a motivator for me to get back into exercising is that's the reason i got into working out yeah because i knew i wanted to start doing camera work and I was like, I, if I want to help like hold bigger cameras, I'm going to have to be able to be fit. Yes. And um, I was always like fine and like, ath like athletic, I guess, kind of. Um, do I did like marching band in high school and stuff. Um, I was in the drum line and stuff. So I was used to carrying heavy equipment all the time. I held drums on my chest for like hours on end. So I was like, I, I'm used to having a rig on me of some sort. Um, so that was a big help with like my core and stuff at the time. Um, but obviously I stopped doing that eventually. And I started to notice that like, you know, I want to be able to do this and I want to have no problem. I want to be able to like go jump off of things with people and like hold a camera at the same time and have no problem. So that was, that was like a huge motivator for me to actually go to the gym at the beginning. Diet as well. I mean, we're, we're preaching about exercise and diet right now. I by no means think that I am a, I, I think arbiter may be the right word. Uh, representative i am not the model for yeah, me either what we're talking about <laughs> neither of us are but uh, i think I, I heard it said a little while ago somewhere in my ingestion of information uh, that mindset is the first step to execution essentially it could be a phrase a little bit differently mm -hmm. what you think then contributes to how you act so one of the first steps to getting to that point of what we're quote unquote preaching right now is to think it and believe it. Yeah. And so that's kind of why I'm mentioning uh, this and, and I'm glad we're talking about it is that, yes, we both recognize it's important. Am I personally just speaking for myself? Cause that's the only person I can speak for right now. Um, am I at a place where I am engaging in these activities and following through on what we're talking about right now? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think it's hard to, but I don't I, think it's I anybody's fault. There. Like, cause with, I mean, like we've talked, we talked about this earlier. I don't know if we mentioned it on, on air yet, but 
like just with COVID, like we've had to stop. Like, yes, I don't feel I don't feel safe going to the gym at the moment until I'm fully vaccinated. So, hmm. I I just I, I and once that day comes and I feel good, I'll start going again, and I'll obviously abide by the mask rule if they have one there. So, I have no problem with that at all. But um, at the moment, I stopped going because I didn't I didn't feel safe. So, but eventually, like uh, things you can do are just you know, treating your body well and listening to your body and trying to eat well, which is something I struggle with all the time. So that's something I'm trying to get better at, just like making food instead of just like going and ordering food or something or just eating like chips all the time. Um, it's hard. It's not easy. And that's why not everyone can do it. So Right. That's the, the uh, I want to follow up on what I, when I mentioned a second ago, where the intent needs to be there first yeah. before the action can be taken. And in some cases, like for my case specifically, I am still in the intent stage where I am now, um, I, I am someone who needs to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. And so right now, sleep quality, down the drain, absolutely terrible. I am only getting anywhere from, it depend depending on if, if it's like before a shoot day, most likely if I am responsible for a lot of stuff, like with any task, day one, mm-hmm. I only ran off of two to three hours of sleep because I was up all night putting extra paperwork together, making sure that we had our crafty purchased, all these other things that I needed to take care of. Hard lesson to learn, um, but I'm learning. Stuff like that where if you are, um, if you're taking care of something before a shoot, chances are you're going to be up late. The goal is to get to a point where you can go to bed at 10, 9 p.m. before the shoot day where you're getting there at a reasonable call time, Mm -hmm. anywhere from, I don't know, 7 to 9 a.m., go to bed at that 10 o'clock hour and be perfectly like within reason relaxed. Yeah. Not everyone can be stress and anxiety free before a shoot. People have said, if you don't have the butterflies the night before something's wrong, um, I got it. I got it going up to the house like that day. It's, it's scary. Not, I mean, when you might know people on set, but I think, I don't know if it, I don't know if it goes away until you're somebody like Roger Deakins or something like that. It probably doesn't go away. I don't think it does. But the point I'm trying to get before we get too far off from exercising is right now I am not going to the gym consistently. I am Mm. not exercising at home, but I am thinking about it. I am planning it. I am trying to get to that point. And I think that's the important thing is um, obviously you won't get anywhere if you never execute. But one of the first steps to getting to a place where you can execute is identifying the way I'm living right now is a problem. I need to change what I'm eating, when I'm eating it, how much sleep I'm getting, and how much exercise I'm doing. And that will um, ultimately allow you to take those steps to then execute. And once that execution happens, yeah, it'll be hard. You'll make decisions that you aren't really happy with in the moment because you never really want to go to bed. In my case, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say you. I never really want to go to bed and quit working on whatever I'm working on. Right. Um, but being able to sleep and get good rest and wake up in a better mood and then feed my body early on in the morning to get energy for the day, like you were talking about, yeah, I think is going to be huge. Once I get to that point, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's self-awareness combined with willpower is what it sounds like. Mm. Just, um, you know, you got to. Like you said, you got to be aware of the situation before you can do anything about it. And you got to accept it. So, but being able to detect, yes. And also dealing with distractions, being mm-hmm. able to, ooh, this is a good one. Um, I think, did you say willpower a second yep. ago? So I have a crafty snack drawer in my room that I sleep in where 
I have stuff like chocolate chips, Rice Krispies, also healthy stuff like right. um, nuts, a little bit of fruit, fig newtons. Not that figs, fig newtons are like a really healthy thing, but could be being, worse. It could be worse, exactly. Uh, granola bars, stuff like that. There are times when it is I'm in an editing editing session at like 1 a.m. and I go to the drawer and it's like, do I want a Rice Krispie or do I want a banana? Just to give an example, I don't really eat a ton of bananas, but yeah. you know, opposite side of the spectrum. There will be times where I put down the Rice Krispie and take the banana, but there will be also times where I take the Rice Krispie. Um, most of the time what I'm trying to get to now is not eating anything at all because the thing that I didn't say is whenever I go to the drawer, mm-hmm. I'm not hungry. Yep. I just want something to eat, which is strange because I've noticed that over the past few weeks where it's like I am now starting to eat very late at night and I'm not hungry. Like I have no... My, my stomach is not growling at me. I don't have any hunger pains. It's, you want to know something? I'm noticing that I'm not hungry, and it's kind of scaring me because it's getting into the point, and yes, I would love to in a second. It's getting to a point where it's like, am I starting to eat out of boredom or eat out of like, it's something that I'm paying attention to, and I don't know why it's there, but it's interesting. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you, you want to know something about the, like a good, okay, so a good thing I learned recently was a, a, a friend of mine, Elaine Smith, who, um, it does intermittent fasting and stuff. He, I don't think there's any science to back this up, but it makes total sense once you hear it. Um, is that he doesn't eat before bed anymore. Like, I guess like I do this all the time. I used to do this all the time. I've just recently stopped because he felt as though, um, why would you want your stomach to be like churning up food and digesting food while you're trying to sleep. It should be sleeping. It shouldn't be doing anything. So I would always eat before bed because I'd be like, well, I'm hungry. I want to eat. So I'd just like eat a snack or something or like cookies or something before bed. Mm-hmm. And then I would immediately go to sleep on a, like a full stomach. And then my stomach is digesting like a, sometimes I would even eat dinner right before bed because like my, my dinner's still all messed up on time. Like I eat so late at night sometimes. But so I've set myself a new rule of not eating anything past nine. Um, and I'm trying to at least starting the meal at nine and then going to bed at midnight. So that way, by the time I'm actually going to bed, um, everything's hopefully digested by that point. And then I can go to bed without any distractions. And just, if I'm hungry, I just try to chug water or, um, pro tip pickle juice is good, Hmm. um, to quench if you are hungry, but you potentially are just eating out of boredom. They just drink like a little bit of pickle juice and it goes away from my experience anyway. These are some interesting tips you're given today. I know. I, I listen. I'm a, I'm like a cesspool of knowledge. I'll tell you that. Well, I with I should note as well the most almost the most important thing that I meant to say for the previous point that I had mm-hmm. about the banana and the rice krispie or just replace whatever two items that you have in your snack drawer if you have a snack drawer is that um, step I am, one don't have a snack drawer. Yes. <laughs> step two be able to say no. Um, have you seen, uh, I see this thrown around in a lot of like the education system or there's a lot of uh, uh, um, willpower people that talk about this. There's a study that was done in young children about um, being able to put aside or say no to a marshmallow. Um, yeah. I, I hope you know what I'm I've talking about. I've seen that about, video. Where it's, where I've seen like videos a, about it's, it. It's like a test of um, being able to Decline immediate satisfaction for long-term gratification. Long-term, yes, long-term gratification. That's kind of how I'm looking at it right now. It's not necessarily in terms of hunger, but sleep quality. So do I want to eat this piece of chocolate? Do I mm-hmm. want to have this bag of chips now right before I go to bed and potentially lose sleep quality? 
and the thing is, the strange part is I'm not hungry. My, right. my tongue just wants me to eat something sweet or have something um, to munch on. Do I want to have that munchy thing or do I want to get better sleep because I am gratifying that want to munch or, or snack on something immediately mm-hmm. or I am uh, increasing sleep quality and having a better day tomorrow? Um, you're, you're right about the, the digestion thing as well, I should say. Uh, I was talking with a grip on set on a shoot I was on a few weeks ago, and he was telling me about um, digestive health, and he's, he's studied up on this, and he was saying anything eaten past, if you're having a quote-unquote normal sleep schedule, like going to bed anywhere from 9 to 11, even 8 to 11, anywhere in there, if you are eating anything past 7.30, like that's going to cause indigestion right. and digestion problems. And I was like, huh, I never really thought about that. And we had a whole discussion about nutritional health and all that. This was over lunch break on set. Um, Point being, I am now trying to take that to heart as well. Anytime, like past nine, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. if I go to the snack drawer, it's like, I'll I'll hold that that Rice Krispie treat up and think about it or that piece of chocolate or chips or whatever it is. And I'll be like, no, and I'll put it back in the drawer. I did that last night. Yeah. And it's like, okay, pat on the back, me, good job. But, um, it's tough. It's not easy to do, like you were saying. Well, so a little backstory on me. I used to live in a house on Ohio State's campus with, like, three other guys. And I lived in what we re- refer to as the penthouse suite because it was just an attic that was, like, converted into, like, a. it felt like a little studio, honestly. I had everything up there. I, like, never went downstairs. So, anyway, all my food was up there. Hmm. I had, like, a microwave. That was when I was eating awful. I was going to the gym, and the only reason I wasn't, like, awful and like feeling like crap all the time was because I was going to the gym. I was eating like crap, but then going to the gym. And then, so it was kind of balancing each other out. So anyway, I think one of the best things I did was when I moved, I didn't have my food in my room anymore. And I, so I try, not that I'm exactly the, the, like the model to go off of for this by any means, but some, just some tips for anybody, obviously just try not to have, I would say for you, for you, Chris, don't have a snack drawer in your room. You can have a snack okay. drawer elsewhere. Let me write that down. But um, I don't know. I just feel like that was such a temptation for me because then I would look over and I'd be like, oh, those chips look pretty good over there. Might as well just go grab them and leave them on my desk. And then they're on my desk. And then I go to my desk again. And I'm like, well, they're right here. Mm-hmm. I might as well eat them. Mm-hmm. So I struggle that now. I bring food to my room and I eat in my room, like watching on my like YouTube and stuff on my computer. And then I leave it there. And then I come back. And I'm like, okay, well, they're still there. I might as well eat a few. And then the few turns into a lot. So it's it's a whole thing. So as far away as I can keep the food to where I ha- if I have to go and get it, it's a commitment to, like, go out and, like, make something or yes. something like that. So still struggling, but definitely figuring out little tactics for myself. Is this a film podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, anymore. It's we we get. We into talked so, about the film stuff. Now this is who I am. I guess exactly. I mean, it's that's the whole fun thing about this show is that yes, we get a lot of the industry stuff up front, and then we get into backstory, which we haven't even talked about yet. We'll get into. You're in still second. here. Thank you. Yes, if you are still listening to this, I really, really, really appreciate it from the host perspective, and I'm sure Cameron, as the guest, does yeah. as well. Um, that's the best podcast I like, though. By the way, I love podcasts that like have a theme, but then they talk about their lives so hopefully you're that type of person i know some people are like i thought this was gonna be a film podcast or i thought this was gonna be about this why are they talking about their lives it's like well you know people people are people people gotta talk people people have lives that's exactly that's exactly the fun part i would say i was definitely uh as the song goes i was born a rambling man so i uh 
I, I tend to go off on tangents a lot. So hopefully if I continue to do that too much more, you if you, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a good thing for a podcast, but you can stop me whenever. <laughs> <laughs> What's so interesting as well on a similar vein is um, video games. We've talked about this a few times on the show previously, especially our first episode. We had some really good thoughts from Nate on this, but you can almost have a similar... Um, a similar vein of thought when it comes to that temptation aspect, either video games or just like TVs in general. Growing up, like my family, my parents never let me have um, my computer or my TV in my room when I was younger because my, my dad especially strictly enforced, I suppose, a mindset of your room is a place to rest and your room is a space for you to relax. And that's because he knew that the type of video games that I liked were very stress and uh, adrenaline-inducing. Sure. And so those two things weren't really going to jive. At this point in my life, I do have my workstation and my computer and my, my console, I've got a PlayStation 4, in my room. And I can see why he thought that way, but at the moment, it was like, I'm still able to get sleep in my room, and I don't, I don't see it as that big of a deal as to what he was making it out to be, although the temptation aspect is totally there, and that was also a big thing that... Uh, dad used to talk about mm. so um, we've had a little bit of a discussion about you know snacks and all that but what's what's your thoughts on like recreation in that sort of same mindset as well yeah I think um, taking time for yourself is always important regardless of what it is it could be reading it could be playing video games it could be um, going on a walk it could be whatever you like like even going back going to the gym or something um, I think in a creative field like ours, it's important to recharge your batteries in whatever way you need to. Um, so playing video games, as long as it's like, I feel like you've previously said in moderation, um, that's always good. But I mean, you know, sometimes you just got to take a day and you just want to like turn your brain off and play like some Warzone or something um, or Fortnite or something. And and I, I don't personally, unless as long as it's not like interfering with your day-to-day -day life, I don't see that as a problem um if you have work you got to do then do it but if you like if you don't or like if you think if you know for a fact you can put it off and like you know like i got a due date let me but like today i just need this to myself um i need today to myself to recharge a little bit and uh get my mind off of things or um you know just not think about work for a minute i i see nothing wrong with that i think that's good um i i do that a good amount of like, you know, like I'll spend like a few hours playing video games. And then like, if you're not motivated, you're not motivated. And if you're, you, sometimes it's hard to force yourself to be motivated. Like that's why I usually do editing and um, planning at night because during the day, like after work um, I come home and the last thing I want to do is like, unless I'm really motivated for some reason, like I just had like a spark of inspiration is go and like make a previs thing or like go edit something or, um, you know, I guess that's kind of all I do right now at the moment for that kind of stuff. But um, <laughs> no worries. Planning, I guess. Um, so I, th I I find that like playing video games or like watching YouTube for a little bit is a good way to recharge the old batteries. And I think more people should take um, take that into account. Um, kind of just if I'm preaching anything, I guess this episode it's self care and like taking care of yourself and listening to your body and not. Not thinking that the grind mentality is going to be the end-all be-all because if you're burnt out, you're, you'll be burnt out and there's no point anyway. So, yeah, I th 
I don't see anything wrong with recreational video games and especially if you have a good time doing it because why would you want to put off something you're having a good time doing? Yeah, if you enjoy it genuinely and it's bringing you some form of um, pleasure or happiness in the present sense, uh, I totally agree that you should be able to um, partake and experience in those things. I don't personally see the point in... um, negating that recreation without purpose. I've been a proponent in the past and still am about getting off of video games, mainly because, and I think I also talked about this in Nate's episode, Mm -hmm. was that it was an addiction that I had previously where my mind was in a state when I played them that um, five to eight hours was just enough for me to be satisfied. Whereas nowadays it's like I can't really play any longer than an hour or two or three uh, of one of one particular game without getting bored yeah. and having to either go back to working because that's what's stimulating my brain or find a different game to play. And so I'm glad... I think that's just getting older too. Yeah, that's like, also true. I'm glad that I am now out of that state of mind, but it was a problem before, and that's mm-hmm. why I had to cut everything out and come back to it in moderation. And um, yeah, and there's nothing nothing wrong with doing... Uh, recreational activities such as gaming. I, people give it a really bad rap for different cultural and even political reasons, which don't really need to go there. But um, in regards to like my gaming experience, it was a big part of my childhood. And also I would think a large contributor to how I got into the industry. Sure. Because that's kind of how I started in 2013 Uh, was editing gaming videos with my friends and we posted them online we were trying to do the youtube thing and i ended up enjoying being on set in the process of producing and creating a film more than uh, playing my games and recording stuff online with friends so i kind of went away from the youtube route and then got on to production Um, speaking of childhood i'd love to get your background if you're game yeah not to use a bad pun um, for uh, how you start sort of started in the field and you know, if you, you don't have, this is what I tell people a lot too, is you don't have to go back to when you were born or anything. It all started. The exactly. Day I was born. When, how, um, how far back does it go? Like, be, be I want you to be comfortable um, with sharing stuff. So if stuff is, you know, super sensitive, no need to put that out publicly. But whatever you're comfortable with sharing in regards to your backstory and how you got into this field, uh, I'm sure that we everyone would love to hear it. So Yeah, I think a good place to start is... Growing up in the age when YouTube was a thing, like first a thing, and no one really knew what it was, no one knew what it was for. I remember not even being allowed to go on YouTube because my mom didn't know what it was. And like, <laughs> she'd be like, you're not allowed to go on YouTube. I'd be like, oh, okay, sorry. It was like a bad website. I was like, what am I gonna find on here? So it was, I mean, it was just because she didn't know what it was either. It was just like the, the fear of not knowing. So anyway, so if, fast forward like a year or two and, um, you know, YouTube became more popular, and my friend had a little, like, SD video camera, like, that he got um, for Christmas one year. He, he lived down the road from me, and so he would start making videos of himself and posting them on YouTube, and I was like, that kind of fun. Can I be in your videos and stuff? So, like, I kind of, we kind of just, like, eventually, to skip a few years, throughout the, like, throughout grade school, we would um, make sketches and videos and you know, just completely improv everything. And we tried to make music videos and fun stuff. And 
we would just post them all on YouTube, and I think they're still there somewhere because we don't have access to the accounts anymore. <laughs> so okay. they're all just permanently on there forever. Oops. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they're somewhere. But uh, fast forward to, like, middle school, you know, like, the pressures of being a middle school kid um, and be, trying to be cool and, like, what's cool. And, like, if you make one little mistake, you're, like, blacklisted from ever being cool and stuff. And apparently really caring about that as a child, I just totally abandoned that entire aspect of something I really enjoyed because people thought it wasn't cool. Like people that did YouTube and thought they were little YouTubers were like not cool at my school for some reason, even though now looking back, I'd be like, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, so I kind of abandoned that whole, um, kind of like passion, I guess we had so much fun doing it and eventually we just got burnt out, I guess. But so I stopped, you know, high school comes around. Um, I got into like musicals and stuff like that. So I even acted in that stuff. Um, did had a few lead roles in our high school musicals and stuff. And, you know, that kind of ignited something in me. I didn't know what it was yet. I thought at that point I wanted to be involved with like arts management because I was in high school marching band. I was in high school choir. I was in musicals. I did our variety shows and had like eight, eight, like five to eight acts in them and like did all this stuff. Um, a lot of it music oriented, at least um, at the beginning. And so I thought I wanted to go into arts management, which is actually a degree path at Ohio State. And I didn't know what I wanted to do out of high school. Like it was like senior year. And I was like, I have no idea. I have no idea what I want to do. So um, I had somebody suggest to me, like, be a band director, be a go into arts management and go like, curate a museum or something. And that sounded cool to me. I was like, sure, like, or potentially go run a concert venue. I thought that's what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be involved with the arts in some way, but I didn't know what that was, and I was hoping I would find it in school. So fast forward a little bit more, um, go to Ohio State or try to go to Ohio State, get rejected basically because my grades weren't good enough and sent to like a satellite campus. And so I decided I want to be in Columbus because being a part of the Ohio State Marching Band was always a – passion of mine and dream so um ended up later on doing that going to columbus state though at the same time um meanwhile at columbus state i was doing some coursework and going to their library and i had my little macbook air that my dad gave me and it had final cut pro on it and it's always been there and i was i would just be there and my dad was like yeah, I just have it on there. I, I bought it for, you know, editing family videos, which looking back is a little overkill for family videos. <laughs> but um, it was like the whole the whole version and everything. And so I was like, yeah, let's open it up. Like one day I was bored of the library. I got everything done. I was just watching YouTube videos at that point and just waiting for another class to start. So I opened it up and I was like, you know what? I'm kind of like missing my friends from high school. So I just like compiled, I airdropped all of our old videos that we made in high school of like, stupid slow-mo stuff when like slow-mo and iPhones came out and like funny like Snapchat videos that we would get of each other like at lunch and stuff and I just compiled them into a whole video on the on Final Cut and I was like you know exported it send it to them and then that was that um, I was like well that was kind of fun that was like easier than I thought I always thought editing was hard and I was like because I at that point I had never edited I had never even opened editing software before in my entire life hmm. Um, even though I was doing YouTube videos with my friends, he would always edit them later on. So I had no experience. It was easier than I thought. Fast forward a few more years, um, decided to, I got a GoPro for Christmas and decided I wanted to start doing stuff with that. So I would like go around and uh, 
some of my friends and I would go and like explore abandoned places for a little bit. And like, I would get videos of that, go home and edit it and then post it to YouTube or something. And that was fun for a little bit until I realized how dangerous that was. And then we stopped. <laughs> so, um, you know, fun stories from that and stuff, but, um, that kind of got me into editing full videos to music and stuff. So I, I had no idea about like licensing music at that point and stuff. So they always got like copyright strikes and like, like, Oh, this video got claimed by so-and-so artists and be like, Oh man, got me again. So, you know, and then of course, fast forward a little bit more. Um, I start getting a little more handy with my phone and eventually invest in a DSLR, which was a Canon T6i. And so that was my first actual video camera, I guess you could say. And got inspired a lot by um, Peter McKinnon and that sort of like YouTube group um, of like filmmaker, cinematographer people that make pretty stuff. So I was like, I want to be a photographer, videographer. That's what I want to do, I think. I'll just do that on the side for fun. So I just started like videoing things like doing vlogs and stuff. And eventually um, I found out while at a, a BW3s <laughs> that so that somebody in the band was doing a video production degree at Ohio State. And I was like, I didn't even think of that as an option for school. Hmm. I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know you could do that. So that kind of changed my whole outlook of like, could I do this as a career though? Like if I have a degree, maybe I could do this as a career. So um, kind of backtracked and kind of reevaluated things. Like I was already planning on going to Ohio State anyway after Columbus State. Um, but now that I knew what I wanted to do, it made me more excited. So I eventually enrolled and went into the program, did that for a semester, met some people. Um, and then eventually I, I decided it wasn't for me because it wasn't, I wasn't getting out what I thought I was from it. And I had outside sources basically telling me that it wasn't what I wanted. When in reality, if I would have stuck with it, who knows what would have happened. But, I mean, I am where I am now because I ended up dropping out from that program. So I can't, I guess I can't complain too much. I'm on the Merit Makers podcast, for God's sake. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, long story short, I, Ohio State just wasn't for me in that aspect. Um, I was still doing the band during that time. Um, I got uh, accepted into the National Band Service Fraternity Kappa Kappa Psi, and I got, like, two months after being initiated into that fraternity, I was elected as the historian for the organization. So that entailed, you know, keeping the books, like yep. documenting fun stuff that we were doing, um, service projects that we were doing for the band and the community and like high school bands and stuff around the area. And um, I ran on the platform of uh, that I would do videos for the fraternity and like kind of boost up our social media and stuff. So I ended up fulfilling that and um, got a few, few good videos under my belt from that experience. And uh, that kind of opened some extra doors for me and had like just put more editing and filming experience under my belt. Um, and from there, I felt confident in my abilities at the time, at least I upgraded cameras to a Canon ADD. And then, you know, from there, I ended up going back to Columbus state, um, for a video production certificate 
that I had heard about. So I enrolled back in Columbus State. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and get this certificate because at least I'll have something um, to show for my time in college. Because at that point, I had nothing besides like 40 credit hours, um, which is a lot of work still. But uh, so I went back and (laughs) funny enough, during this video production certificate experience, that's where I met Philip May and... uh, I like he was across the room from me and like I, he would like talk about all the stuff he's done. I was like, man, if I could get in with that guy, that would be awesome. Like I couldn't, I was like, I can imagine like being friends with this guy. Like he clearly has his life together and stuff. And eventually like out of pure like fate, I guess um, we got matched up in a group mm. to do a video project together out of three people in this class of like 20 ish people. We just so happened to get put together and we made like a pretty decent video. I mean, it was just a school assignment. Um, we didn't really have a camera besides his GH5 at the time and stuff. And that's not a bad camera, but I'd never used it before. So I opted to try to do the camera work for it at the time. And um, it was pretty, it was fine. <laughs> I just didn't know the camera very well at the time. I was used to Canons. Yeah, don't beat but, yourself up, man. So it's all good. It's just a school project anyway. But um, the guy liked it so much and he liked how well we worked as a team, the instructor anyway that he, um, instead of, we were supposed to switch up the groups every project. Ah. He just kept us together for every project. And nice. I was like, okay, this is cool. So clearly he thinks we worked well together. And, you know, months later, we, we before COVID, we would hang out. We would go to, we would do weddings together for film. Um, he got me my first few gigs for film ever. Like I was a PA on a project for a um, festival called Three Weeks of Terror in Columbus. And that was awesome. That, like, opened my eyes to, like, what filmmaking, like, indie filmmaking could be. And, like, I loved the teamwork on set and how everyone was, like, so friendly to each other and collaborative. And we were doing such cool things. Like, it's everything I wanted. And then I got to do a – he got me a gig doing Boom Operation on another um, horror film for Three Weeks of Terror, actually. So I did two things for that. Oh, boy. Um so that was that was cool. I didn't, you know, I wasn't doing what I wanted. I wanted to be behind the camera, but I definitely at that point did not have the experience needed to be able to do that. So um, lo and behold, winter film comes around um, based in Cincy. And we he's like, I want to enter this, and I want you to be my cinematographer for it. Um, we're going to have another guy that's going to also be credited as cinematographer, but or as DP technically, and you'll be, cinema, you'll be credited as cinematographer, but... Like, we'll, we'll make it work. So I went out. I was like, I'm going to take this seriously. So I went out and bought my Black Magic. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this thing. But we need it for this film. I was like, I want it to be the best it can possibly be. So I bought my Black Magic. He bought or he rented the Rokinon lenses that he would eventually go and buy himself. And we made um, a film called Sense for Hire, which is, which I don't know if it still is, but it was for the longest time on Amazon Prime. We eventually had some legs, and we made it go on Amazon Prime for a little bit. Um, it might still be up there. For a while, it was free with Prime, so you could watch it on there. And now I, you might have to pay now, but I'm not sure. So that was my first ever gig. And from then on out, I mean, you know, like if I don't know what I would have done if I wouldn't have met Phil. Like I, pr- I don't know where I'd be right now. So I owe a lot of my, um, I guess, career, quote-unquote, so far to him. And funny enough, I actually met our good friend Nick in class too. And I thought, I saw Nick, like at that point, I thought I was so cool. I thought I was like 
so ahead of everybody. And like, even though I'd, I had like less than six or seven months of like experience at all. And I thought I was like just the best at that point. And I, I don't even think at that point I had done a film. And here's Nick over here talking it up in the corner. You know, Nick knows everything. And I was just like, who is this guy? Yeah. And then I was like, who does he think he is? Just because he was in a film club in high school. I was like, are you kidding me? For context, this is Nick Mamoni. Nick uh, Mamoni. He's, he's been on an episode before this. So, so people will know who he is if they're so listening. I was just like, this guy is just talking the teacher up. I was like, he thinks he's so cool. And I was like, I'm the real deal. He's not. And then oh no, I had like a rude awakening, like just like going on film sets later and really like humbling myself of like, you know, I'm actually not that good. I'm still learning constantly. And even to this day, I know I, I feel that way. Like every, every day is a learning experience on set. And, you know, sometimes you need that for sure. But, and then eventually I met Nick. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you how we met. I think he, I think it was through you or somebody that was like, this person needs a DP or we just, I know we knew each other from that. Maybe he even reached out to me. I, I'd have to go back and look at our messages. I'm not but. sure if it was through me or not, but my my main understanding of your first project that you did with him was um, was the cyclist, yeah, which was Nick's take on the My Road Rail competition. Yep. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if I recommended you to him, or if you guys just met randomly, or if Nick saw that I was following you and then he, he does. We had no interaction before that. Like we were in class together. I didn't even know he knew who I was. I had a similar con I had a similar experience with him where he and I were at the Natus Awards mm -hmm. and this will be a throwback to our episode that we did previously where we talked about this a little bit. But he and I were in the same room, walked up on the same stage and accepted awards and we never knew we, we I had no idea who he was he was just another random face. We never even spoke that day. Yeah. But we were in the same room in the same crowd. This is pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, at the same award ceremony. And then um, fast forward, I think three, two or three months later, if not maybe a year later, I'm, I'm fuzzy on what year that that award ceremony was in. But regardless, the October before COVID, mm -hmm. uh, he and I meet up again at CIF. Um, and that's where we essentially like got to know each other and became friends and have since worked on multiple projects together yeah nick just kind of appears in your life you don't expect it he just, shows, he just up. shows up and he's there and then you don't know how to get rid of him but right no he's awesome um he's got a way with words as well yeah when he, he said talking up the teacher like that's ah, so nick i see it's that. so funny because like i thought he was just being like like trying to like assert dominance but in reality no, that's, that's how just he how, he is. Is. That's how he is and he just talks like that and it's it's so like I don't know. It's charming when you know him, but for some reason, like when I didn't, I didn't know him, and I thought he was competition. I was like, this guy, he, be, he's just like telling them, telling everybody what he knows, and he's trying to help. It can be <laughs> off-putting from someone who has previous pride issues and still has struggles with pride stuff and competition. I am extremely competitive, hence my love for first-person shooters. Right. Uh, my first interaction with Nick actually was quite positive because he was coming into a realm where I had only been there for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so I was new myself and we kind of teamed up. So thankfully I didn't have the experience that you had where it's like, who is this yeah. man? <laughs> I thought everyone, is? I was, was under the positive. impression, I was under the impression the entire time I was in school for film that it was like, if you don't like destroy somebody else, then you're not going to get ahead. Mm. And I'm glad I shook that because now that's, I understand that's not that's, how it is at all. That's no. not a, that's not the case. <laughs> and the, the fact is, is that 
I've only gotten opportunities because I've befriended people Mm -hmm. and like, you know, just don't take yourself too seriously and like do what you can do and have faith in yourself. But like, you don't have to drag somebody else down to like put yourself on a pedestal, Hmm. I guess at the end of the day. Not at all. You want friends in this industry because there will be times where you need work and they'll call you up out of the blue and hand you your next paycheck. Yeah. Or you will have so much on your plate that you can't handle it. Someone will give you an opportunity and you know someone who can do the job. So you yeah. pass it off. It's There's enough work to go around for everyone. And even I saying that feels slightly hypocritical because I feel like, well, if I'm not doing anything, mm-hmm. I am a failure or I um, am never going to succeed in this field or I'm going to fall short in some way or die because I can't yeah. feed myself and or future family if I have one. Point being, I have those thoughts. It's real. It's yeah. authentic. It's not, I'm not saying that for the camera or anything. I legit think about that every day. Yeah. Point being is you need friends in this field. You want friends and it's good to not burn bridges most of the time. Absolutely. Like, in, unless you're getting hurt, I guess, by that person and they're actually legitimately right. dragging you down and you think about it. Unless they're genuinely a bad person. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> but Sorry to take you off your story. No, it's good. That's kind off, of it. Like, I mean, you know, from then on out, like, from that point, it kind of leads to today. Like, I started meeting people. Like, I think Phil was the bridge to my career so far. He was there at Gear Show. Yeah. He He's with- brought me. He told me about it. I didn't know about it. Like, he opened my eyes to everything. I didn't know Columbus had a good film pro, like had like a film program at all, like that it was big. I had no clue about anything. I was just like taking the limb. I was like, I could have been up in like some small town going to school. Like I could, I don't know, BG, I was going to say BG, but BG has a good film program too. So it's like, who, who knows where I could have been? Like, but I just had no idea where I were, where I was and the fact that I was in Columbus and, you know, just so happens to have, a good film program here like it's pretty big like compared to other states like we have a pretty good film thing going like at least a lot of passionate filmmakers here so mm-hmm. i don't know whether you look in columbus since cleveland all throughout i mean the market compared to other places like it's not the largest no. we don't really have a lot of narrative here in columbus there's narrative in cincy there's narrative in cleveland columbus not so much but I feel we, like there's a hunger for it, though. Yes, it, it'll it'll get there eventually. I think, especially if people like us decide to stick around. If people, um, and this is going to turn into a plug for the show, but like if, for the if the people that come on this show or that want to get their foot in the door or just let other people know they exist, like that's part of the whole reason why I made this in the first place is to help cultivate and grow mm-hmm. that culture of, hey, we've got plenty of people in the in the area that want to do the narrative work. There are multiple problems and roadblocks in the way, one of which is, you know, we don't have the funding or investment for it yet, but we have the talent. We have Mm -hmm. the opportunity. It's just a matter of attracting the money because the people are here that want to make it. The landscape, we've got a fairly diverse, I probably shouldn't use that word, um, we have a large amount of different scapes i suppose we've got the cityscape we've got mm-hmm. the countryside we've got forests we got we've snow. got lakes we've got snow we've got seasonal weather water. sometimes it can be against you when it changes suddenly but yes, uh, yes i mean ohio it's like you can be it can be 30 degrees in the morning and 70 degrees in the in midday and it's like, kind of this morning <laughs> yeah it's crazy but point being is i think if we can get the right tax incentives in town and attract the right people in the money to make the narrative projects come to life it can happen we have almost all the ingredients ready so um, in regards to your story just to connect a few dots that we've already previously mentioned after you um, met nick at 
Nick at? It was a C State, correct? Yeah. Or was that Ohio? It was C State. Okay. So after that, you started working with Fillmore, getting on set and doing stuff. That's when you and I met. Mm-hmm. At this point in your timeline, was with Phil. Um, at Gear Show, and then after Gear Show, you and I stayed in touch, and we ran into each other on Instant Coffee with Strangers because mm-hmm. Phil was producing that. And since then, you and I have now. I think I told him about you. Task. I was like, "Get Chris," and he's like, "All right, huh? okay." I was, like, well, he does, I was like, "He does it all." Get Chris, and he was like, "Yeah." I like, he's like, "I guess he does," and so he's like, "I'll bring him on." Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> so and you see that that demonstrates secretly your behind point. the scenes. I believe I was the person that said like. Let's get Chris involved. So. Well, if, if you hadn't, we might not be sitting here. That's right true. Now. So that just goes to show you how the whole friends and networking thing comes into play. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, um, since we've covered your story now, is there anything in particular you wanted to go over or talk about that we haven't mentioned yet? Because I think, honestly, like we've had a really good conversation about everything so far. Yeah. And I'm pretty comfortable wrapping it up here if you don't got anything else. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess a, the topic that I like is that going into um, kind of like making it work where you live mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, big inspiration for that is uh, Peter Jackson from Lord of the Rings, like yes. Lord of the Rings and stuff. Like nobody thought that he should do it in New Zealand of all places. Like there was a, a hunger for film program there as well. Like the community really loved it. And um, it kind of gives me inspiration for Ohio. Cause like as much as I do feel pulled to like go out to LA and stuff, or down to Texas, or to Georgia, or somewhere. Um, it would be just the most amazing thing to have something here that's sustainable, like a like get Netflix to build like a huge like production here. space. For, yeah, yeah, here for us, and like hire us to do stuff. And I just think it's important to like. Hopefully, one day, if I'm ever if I ever make it, quote unquote, um, I would love to like actually come back and you know primarily source my talent and. Uh, and crew from Ohio. So yeah. hold, hold me to it if it ever happens. But. We'll do, man. We've got, I've got projects on my plate right now that I'm on the like producing side of things and mm-hmm. also crew, but there are projects that are aimed at doing exactly that. And so you're not alone there. I don't mean to say, hey, it's competition. You better yeah. beat them to it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm more saying whoever that, does it first. <laughs> it, I, it, whoever does it first, the intent is the same regardless. Ohio people want to make more opportunities available for Ohio. We have a lot of people that come here from L.A. to do film stuff. So it's like, why don't I I know this is like the age old thing. Like people talk about it on like the Mid-Ohio Filmmakers Association page all the time about like, why aren't they using local crew? Mm -hmm. They probably just don't know. And they probably like think it's easier just to for some reason, I think it's easier to fly in people from L.A. So, well, the other thing, too, is that there's a trust factor and there's friends involved. So. People only want to work with people they know and trust yeah. and are friends with. And so people from L.A. only know people from L.A. It's true. And so they bring the people from L.A. out. The same, I unfortunately uh, agree with at the moment, is the same for Ohio. If I get a gig out in L.A., yeah. I want to bring Ohio crew out to L.A. It's like loyalty. Exactly. And so I'm still working through a way to get past that. I don't, honestly, at this point in time, to be very honest, I don't know if I want to change that mindset but it's a mindset that i recognize exists and that i also partake in because i want to be able to pay the cameron hansons of the world the gibson davises the nick mamonis because no one else from la is going to do it at the moment i'm not saying that none of you guys will ever get work again i do not see myself you know as the savior of our careers that's not it at all but it's more like it's a real thing that 
people from LA bring in crew from LA because that's all they know. Same mm-hmm. with Ohio. So not o- I keep saying Ohio. I should say the Midwest because there's a lot of talent down in Kentucky, over in Pennsylvania. We got people in Michigan and Indiana who yeah. do this all the time as well. It's just not as connected because LA is so central. You got millions of people in one town, yep. whereas you have millions of people out here just with a little bit of extra distance. Right. Um, with that being said on the Lord of the Rings stuff, um, do you have any projects or anything like that that you're trying to pursue that's in that vein? Yeah, I actually have two projects coming up. One of them going down the Lord of the Rings route is a. Um, I approached a podcast called um, The Unexpected Podcast, Talking Tolkien. Hmm. Um, it's a great podcast where uh, two guys from Ohio, they're from, uh, one of them is from a little town called Amanda, Ohio. It's actually, I think it's like a, I think it's technically a village. It's very small. Um, in Lancaster. It's like right next to where Nick lives, basically. Um, and uh, so the other one is currently like, um, where is he from? Like Mount Vernon area, I think. Hmm. So anyway, so they have a podcast and they're based in Ohio. And um, it's they basically do like a reread of The Lord of the Rings. And currently they are in The Hobbit. So I've been following along with that. And I've been listening to them since like June or July. And they're just, like, two really cool down-to-earth guys. I think they're both teachers. So, um, I don't know. They're just really cool. So, I got in contact with them and um, a partner that they have right now, which is um, a candle company. Like, it's, like, a one-person, like, operation candle company. Her name's Casey. She does Firelight. It's Her brand name is Firelight Fable. So, basically, she ha- makes, like, I think they're soy candles for fantasy. So one of the inspirations is you liked them during like a D&D session and it's supposed to like each one has a different scent to remind you of like a different thing. Like she has a Harry Potter line, Lord of the Rings line. Um, I think I, I've heard something about like a pirate themed line as well. Um, um, I think one of like one of the Lord of the Rings scents is like halflings and pipe weed or something. And it has like a like a earthy and like smoky smell to it and even the candle itself has like a wooden wick so it crackles and stuff so that's sweet it's super nice and um haven't had one in my hand yet but one of the stipulations for working with her was that i I wanted some candles in return so (laughs) i got i got in contact with both of them and um started talking to them about the possibility i brought I, i wanted to make sure when i went to them i was ready so i went to them with a pitch of like a possible commercial we could do like a 30 second thing just for their their personal YouTube or to post on social media involving um, the two, the two fellows from the podcast acting in it and then uh, stumbling upon some, some nice treasure, which would be the candles. And so we're, we're working on, we're working on that right now. We're in pre-production mode, um, finishing up the script, like making it, making sure it makes sense, like getting locations done. Um, I've done some previs with Cine Tracer for it um, so far. And it's, I think it's going to be really fun. They've never done anything like it before. I think there's a lot of potential. Um, I think we're going to film it down in um, Clear Creek Metro Park down there. And I think it'll be really cool. So I'm looking forward to that. I also got in contact with doing uh, recently another commercial for a local, like, I think it's based in Cincinnati, but they're doing like a, another operations, like grand opening of a space up here, like in Hilliard area. Nice. So they, I got in contact with somebody that I met actually through my 
motorcycle video that he he liked my motorcycle video so he's in contact with me right now about planning this like another commercial so regardless pretty man, cool i'm glad you're getting work and and so there's there's a lot to touch on for me at least with the candles project yeah. i think it's really sweet that she's focusing on creating like authentic smells for the uh i never thought i'd talk about candles on the show but <laughs> candles uh, are great i love candles i i do as well my my mom especially is big on candles um h- having the opportunity to work in that sort of vein of content uh in terms of fantasy i gotta admit i'm a little jealous of because what i personally want to do moving forward aside from like when when it comes to narrative i i, I want to do corporate commercial stuff yes talking heads is fine and great um, but when it comes to narrative, my focus right now at this point in time, what I'm very interested in is action and combat, like military um, style stories, and also fantasy action mm. adventure, stuff like the Pirates of the Caribbean, Lord of the Rings, um, Game of Thrones, stuff with swords, combat, action, adventure, mystery, fantasy. I don't know if you read a lot as a kid. But for I me, I am, I am a, I was a, I was a huge nerd <laughs> growing up. Still am. Uh, I loved um, watching a lot of Star Wars as well. Mm-hmm. So like sci-fi action on top of that for the the genres of film and narrative that I want to do. Yeah. Um, in regards to my reading, though, I was a huge fan of Brandon Mull. I don't know if you or anyone else out there will know myself. who that author is, but he authored. Um, the Beyonders is a three book series that he put together. I feel like um, I've heard of that though. As well as Fable Haven. Okay. Um, and I think he's come out with some other stuff as well recently after those two series. But I loved reading both of those. What I would love to be able to do is take The Beyonders and put it into like either a Netflix series style show Just or live even action. A live action or either a, maybe a, a Lord of the Rings type deal where it's three movies hours long because it's a book and i really want to stay true to the book mm-hmm. i'm not really interested as a director um taking adding my own characters and spin to it because i just genuinely loved the book and i think that's where a lot of people mess up the story with creating books into movies and this could be a whole nother tailspin which i don't know if we have time for honestly right now but um you see people take stories from books and completely ruin them if you've read them before right. and you watch it on screen just ruins the whole thing for you i would love to be able to just work with brandon's vision and take that story from the beyonders and put it on screen yes we'll have to mitigate some stuff because like you can't on screen know what a person is thinking so you have to figure out how to communicate that visually mm-hmm. there's stuff like that, that you can't get around but overall it's i just loved those books and i've read them through so many times and being able to uh, take that story and that genre and put it onto screen is one of my bigger goals that I have in terms of action, fantasy, adventure stuff. To that point of adapting things, um, I think the future, honestly, for things like that is episodic. Mm -hmm. So basically a dream of mine and also the biggest terror of my life would probably be one day potentially being either a showrunner, director, or cinematographer on the Lord of the Rings reboot. And <laughs> okay. I think I'm speaking into existence, so Same here. hopefully it'll happen. So I mean, that would be the biggest undertaking of my entire life. And I know, like, going back to um, Peter Jackson, I'm sure 
like people love his stuff and I love his stuff too. And I think he, he hit the nail on the head, but there's lots of stuff that isn't true to the books in there Absolutely. because it couldn't be. Sometimes it couldn't be. And sometimes it, for story, like they had to take it out. But I think if it, if it were to be redone eventually, and hopefully by the time I'm hitting my stride, eventually in the future, it'll be far enough away that people will hunger for some sort of reboot again or something. But I think if it were ever, even if it's not me, I hope one day there's a episodic Lord of the Rings that it, it'll be hard to watch because it'll, like, you know, I'm, I'm in love. Like, I've been watching the original, like, I guess not the original. I've been watching the trilogy of Lord of the Rings since I was, like, four. Like, Same. probably too young Same. to be watching it. And, um, and you know, I just loved it. So it's gonna, it would be hard to even, like, accept that. But maybe one day there will be hunger for a new Lord of the Rings and a new cast. Um, and maybe a potentially a more accurate story to the book's. Um, because there's lots of stuff in there. Like each chapter could be a, one episode and there's lots of stuff that you have to skip over for a movie because it's just not important. Like, yes. for example, I don't know if you're familiar, but like the, like the, not to get <laughs> turning this into a Lord of the Rings podcast, I guess, but like the Tom Bombadil section of like, has nothing to do with the story. Mm. Like you could tell, like Peter Jackson took it out. It doesn't make, it doesn't, didn't do anything to the film. For the Hobbit, Azok was not a thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, that's a different conversation. <laughs> like maybe, <laughs> maybe that shouldn't have stayed a thing, but um, uh, so there's stuff in there that you could include such as like extra background information that you can't include in a film, but you could include in a TV show because it would be a fun episode. Right. Even if it's like totally like different from the rest of the show, like people would enjoy that. I think so getting to see that in live action. So maybe one day, but I may be mistaken. Actually, it's been a while since I've read the Hobbit, but the fun thing is with I've, I've watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like Peter Jackson, so mm -hmm. much. I, I am myself a huge Peter Jackson fan. Um, I've seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy at least six, seven, eight times all the way through each movie. With The Hobbit, I've read the book two mm -hmm. or three times all the way through right. and then saw The Hobbit movies. Um, I love the movies just as much as the book, which is an opinion that is not widely shared. However, I don't remember Azok the White, the, the Defiler, being in the book. I don't think he's there at all. I don't think so. I think my brain might be tricking me saying, no, he's in the book. I don't think, I don't think so. I'm 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 on like chapter seven right now, and I think I don't think there's even a mention. But um, right, I mean I'm I'm more than I'm like three fourths of the way through the book, and we're on still on like beginning of the second movie. So it's like clearly they took some liberties with that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like I don't even think Radagast is in the book that much he's in the, he's like a mention he's, he's there for like two yeah. seconds and then he leaves <laughs> but he's a, he's definitely a bigger player in like the first two movies of the trilogy anyway but yeah there's some there's some fan service in there for sure i still think it's fun and i think it's a good i still think it's a good movie but you can tell that it was a studio movie more than like a passion project mm. as lord of the rings originally was um i you can definitely tell that like peter jackson did not want to do it but he felt obligated to do it and I know we're <laughs> running short on time, probably. So we're not going to, I don't want to get too much more into that. But no, that, that's a project I'm working on. Um, we can, maybe you'll, we can have me back sometime and we can talk more Lord of the Rings with somebody. Or, I would love to. So, so. If, if you get through this project, what I'd love to do as well is bring you back, because we never touched on Cine Tracer. Yeah. I want to get your thoughts and experience using Cine Tracer yeah, as give a me future a few, episode at some point. Give um, me a little bit and so yeah. I can, I'll get more used to it. And stack then up some projects with yeah. that previs and yeah, we'll be good to go. Um, 
I had another thought on the Lord of Rings, but I guess I'll, I'll save that for another time. Cause yeah, we'll get totally me going again. Much more on that <laughs> later. But yeah, so I think overall, this has been a fantastic episode. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I know I said that. I'm to trying to claim the crown of the longest episode. Yeah, so we'll see if, let's see if I did it. Uh, <laughs> we'll see I, at the end once it's, once it's all cut together. We'll I, see. Uh, with that being said as well, I'd love to get your socials out there one more time. Feel yeah, free man. to plug your website, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. And then, uh, yeah, that'll be it pretty much. So where can people find you? Yeah. So, I mean, Facebook, you know, just Cameron Hansen. I'm friends with Chris and stuff. So if you need to get a hold of me that way, that's one way. Um, as far as Instagram goes, Cameron.in.hanson. That's H-A-N-S-O-N. Um, some people get confused with the S-E-N or H-E-N-S-O-N. It's H-A-N-S-O-N. And then um, website is the same with no dots. So like Cameron N. Hansen. The extra N is important. <laughs> the Cameron.nn is in Nancy. As in Nicholas, that's my middle name. Okay, cool. Not saying that was your middle name, but just the usual term for N that I hear all the time when explaining good. it is Nancy. Trying to enunciate the exactly. N. Yeah, people get. Confused. I think that's, I think that's one of my biggest branding issues. I'm going to need to overcome is You'd be the fact that the yeah. last letter of my first name is the first letter of my middle name. So. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> that's where it can get kind of confusing. But there you go. Okay. Maybe it'll be like a little lower third or something. Yeah, we'll have we'll have it on the screen. Don't worry. So for those of you who did have trouble spelling that that are listening on audio, feel free to check out the video yeah. on YouTube at the Merit Makers Podcast. Maybe so drop a like or something. Maybe just give us a little bit of love, please. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm not begging. I appreciate. I am. Please do it. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, with that being said, thank you again for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, for those of you who are tuning in over video as well, if you're wondering about the space that the, uh, that we're in right now, I always try to plug the studio we're associated with. If you're in the Columbus, Ohio area, there's a new studio in town called the Sycamore Studio. Feel free to check them out. There'll be a link in the description. Uh, we are currently in their podcasting space. There is a, sort of a three-room setup that they have at their current location at this point in time with a podcast studio as well as a editing suite and a 3,000-foot psych space. For those of you who may not be familiar with the psych space, think of it like an infinity wall. It's a very large uh, production area where people are going to be able to come in like yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, DPs, directors, producers come in with their projects doing photo shoots, um, maybe even a little bit of car work as well. It's just big enough, I think, to do that kind of stuff. And it's really cool. So for those of you who are um, interested in checking that out, links will be in the description. Also, feel free to check them out on social media. In addition to the Merit Makers podcast, we do have an Instagram page. Please follow us there for more updates. And uh, yeah, With that being said, if anyone wants to come on as a future guest, again, find that link in the YouTube video description. That's the only place you can find it. Send us your info, and I'll be more than happy to get in touch. So third and final time, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, for everyone else, hope you all have a good rest of your day. It was a pleasure, brother. Mm